Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to lean into Hannibal and see what happens. I, you know, I I watched the first season of Hannibal, and I was like, I have to stop, because this is, this is, I can't. I have to stop. And I avoided the fandom. I avoided the fandom like a motherfucker. And then I got lured into it by Emanger and Jillian. <laughs> How did I do that? I have discipline because, and I'm an adult. Well, I I read Imager a couple years ago, and and then you said, "Okay, that was my moment. I'm not doing it." <laughs> and I stayed away from it. And now, because the thing is, I knew, I knew when I watched the show, I was like, "This fandom could suck me in and ruin me." I. I have to I have to contain myself. And I did for a long time. And now I'm just but I feel like I've been I told you what was it, maybe a couple of months ago that I felt like I was searching for a new fandom. Mm-hmm. This isn't the way I expected that to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean I want a new fandom. I, I want to add. I don't. I don't want to throw anything away that I've got. But I, I need to kind of expand myself. I, I need a new fandom. So I thought it would be really cool if, like, the new Walker's Tech Texas Ranger show is awesome. I, I have high hopes that it will be awesome, but um, I will probably be disappointed. Anyways, um, so because I really like a really good cop, a buddy cop show that would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried Good Omens because so many people that I follow were writing it. And I was like, well, I'll give this a try because I thought maybe that could be the fandom. No. No, no, no. And then I don't remember how we got to talking about Hannibal one night. But it came up. And then I started reading again. And now it's like, I've been actually very, I have a long list. Kira's way ahead of me on the reading because I have a long list of things I want to read, but I've been trying to get some stuff done. And I've been rationing my reading time, which is usually, you know, when I'm in bed. So it's like, I'm giving up sleep to read. <laughs> I mean, I dug in. You did. I read some stuff. You made some questionable choices. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yes, we're we all fandom. do. We I mean, all we, do. we all have those fics that we read. They're just terrible, but we read them anyway. Yeah, I've. We all I've have been, our moment. I've done that. Done that. I call it train wreck. The train wreck moment where you're like, I can't look away from this. It's gonna crash. It's, it's. It was a broken train to begin with, but it's definitely gonna derail. <laughs> And sometimes it's because the premise is compelling, and sometimes it's because the character, and sometimes it's because you've been reading for 15 hours, and what's one more story, and it's only 10k, and it won't be that bad. And then it's, it's mm, whoa, do I want to go there? Hmm. Do I want to finish this? Yeah, I, I gotta know, I gotta know how it ends. I, I gotta know. Then, Han- then, then Hannibal's taking Will Graham to a place where he can hunt people. You're like, why? How did I get here? What life choice did I make that got me here? I remember reading one of the vampire fics where Will is a newly turned vampire, and Hannibal's been a vampire for quite a long time. And um, Will has been subsisting on animal blood 
subsisting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes I say a word and I think that it's the right word, but it could not be. Um, anyway, subsisting on animal blood. And he's over at Hannibal's house. And Hannibal um, offers him a glass of wine. And he was like, I don't drink wine. He says, you'll drink this one. And I was like, okay. So he, Hannibal has mixed human blood into this wine. Right? Um, and, and in this particular world, he sources his human blood legally. <laughs> and Will takes a drink. And he goes, and he says, oh, Hannibal. I mean, it was like almost like an orgasm. <laughs> Did you send this one to me? I don't know. Girl. <laughs> I here's a, uh, Margaret help a bitch out. What was what was the title of that one? She's supposed to And be- eventually, I mean, Hannibal is manipulative as fuck, and Will doesn't know a whole lot about vampirism and how it works because he was turned um he was attacked by two vampires in um, New Orleans um when he was a cop and he gets turned because they basically tore him they ripped him up and his partner shot them so the vampire blood got into him huh and he and and he woke up a vampire so he doesn't really have a sire um because those two vampires were killed by by his partner i believe um so he doesn't really know a lot about vampire culture or how vampire you know vampires work and um uh hannibal kind of basically made mate bonds him with a blood bond with a blood mate and Will doesn't even know it's like but he's all in on the fucking and the blood sharing he just doesn't really know what it what it's actually doing of course he gets a little bit but that's just Hannibal he's a manipulative bastard right so <clears throat> I you know there's an interesting thing that I was thinking about the other day about the Hannibal fandom and why I think this is going to sound strange, but why I'm in a better place to deal with this fandom now than I was two or three years ago. And that is that it was through reading when I was going deep into the MCU, when I was reading just everything I could get my hands on that seemed even remotely reasonable in the MCU. Um, I started noticing that there was like sometimes it was like a, a certain trope in a, in the fandom, but more often than not, it was the way a particular author would approach like everything in their story that left me not feeling good. You know, it's sometimes be really hard to articulate what about this story is leaving me so unhappy when I'm done with it. It's like it's not the quality of the writing, but there's something about the way the writing is that is just making me feel unhappy and yucky at the end, like just kind of depressed and um i kind of like developed this like this i started i I had never really i'm sure i'd experienced before experienced it before but i really had like a lot of clarity about it through this what particularly this one author where it was like every work i was reading of hers was just making me miserable and i thought you know i need to not read stuff that leaves me feeling like this and it's not it's not like it obvious what the trope was. It was the problem because I don't think it was a particular trope. And so it could have easily for me a few years ago, I could have been reading a lot of Hannibal fic that was making me feel that way. And I was just winding up being really depressed. And so, but I kind of got that clarity about, I need to avoid stories that leave me feeling like this and authors who write in a way that this is my reaction to what they wrote. And like the third or fourth story I picked up in Hannibal it, I was having that feeling, and I wasn't didn't get very far before I was like, "Ooh, no!" And I tried another one of their works, same thing, 
And I closed it and I picked up another one. I realized it was just something about the way this author writes that just really puts me off and was just, for me, my reaction was like to get just really kind of depressed. And I hard, so I put that author on my do not read list, hard no on this author. And I think that a few years ago, I might not have done that. I might've just gotten into that kind of place where I was just letting fan fiction make me miserable. So I think I'm better about noping out now. And sometimes you gotta be, you gotta be good about, you know, maintaining your boundaries when you get into certain fandoms, because the themes can get really unfortunate because the authors in the Hannibal fandom will really lean into Hannibal sometimes. And I don't mind the leaning in, but sometimes they lean in in ways that horrify me. Like they, it's way worse than the show, which is kind of hard to imagine. Do you know you're muted? I was looking for something. I was I was looking oh. for the story. I and I was typing. Um, I was reading a story, and um, I really didn't like the premise. Um, and it was in Hannibal, and there was an undercurrent in it, and I could not figure out what the problem was. And um, when I realized the problem, I had to close it immediately. And I don't want to like call it out because it would be very obvious what I'm talking about. It's actually a fairly long thick in Hannibal, so it would stand out. Um, but uh, it's there was in there was in an inherent dishonesty in the fic that uh, between um, not between Will and Graham, I mean, between, between Will and Hannibal, but between um, other elements of the story and it really bothered me uh, and I was just like I, I can't I can't okay the one where I read where um, Hannibal makes Will a drink he can't turn down is called Bloodline by Zombie Kitten or X Zombie Kitten X or X Zombie X Kitten X okay okay sweetheart I, I got it in the link library and it's in the link library it's very Thanks. good Thank you, Margaret. And the one where um, where Will is a creature of the night, and so is Hannibal, and he fe <laughs> he <laughs> Hannibal and Will exchange bodies and courting gestures is called Antler and um, Antlered and Horned by Blood Under Moonlight. You got that link? I do. And um, <clears throat> it is, I mean, it's, you know, the thing is, is that the Hannibal fandom is not going to be for everybody. And that's perfectly okay. Don't read it. Don't read, don't write any. You don't have to justify your decision to read or write in that fandom or not to anybody. That's just like, I wouldn't read Scenery for money. You could not pay me to read the scenario fic. You could not rate you could not pay me any amount of money to read Hannibal, I mean uh Voldemort and and Harry Potter. And yeah, and you couldn't pay me to read Incest. Well, there was that one crack fic that we all wound up reading. I didn't read it. You read you did too. I did read like two chapters of it, but then it got like Creepy. It got weird. It got kind of weird. I had, to, I, had to, I had to close it because it was it because at first it was kind of but then it, it got funny. creepy. It was funny for a while. Like the first couple of chapters were were funny, yes, but then it got weird and creepy and um. 
I mean, I know it's continued on. Um, Unexpectedly sexual. I could not do it. I didn't get to the part where there was sex. I mean, there wasn't any sex, but it got unexpectedly. There was an undercurrent coming, and I, I, I saw it coming. And I was like, nope. Um, sometimes I do make weird exceptions for crack if it's like full on. Um, but anyway, that's that's the thing. But if if you don't, if you look at a you approach a phantom and you go, I don't want to read in that. I don't I don't want to write in it. You you don't have to explain that to anybody. Just I'm not interested. That's enough. But one of my favorite fix fix I've read this week for for Hannibal is called um, Dancing with the Beast by Prozer. And um, I really enjoyed it. It's a pretend relationship. Um, and, the, and the summary is, in order to catch a mediocre serial killer, Will must pose as Hannibal's date for a series of pretentious social events. Hannibal is dramatic and as jealous as ever. And Will is having a great time without encephalitis. Of course, it's a love story. <laughs> it's like Will is Will is actually really judgy about the serial killer. It's like he's he's like it, he's ridiculous. <laughs> and of course, Hannibal is super judgy about the serial killer because he is in fact mediocre. <laughs> and I know I've I've started that one, and I'm only like two chapters in. He's also super. This serial killer is occupying Will's attention, and he does not like that. Yeah, he's very jealous, and of course, the serial killer also accidentally took one of Hannibal's um, people from his r- Rolodex on the same night that Hannibal was harvesting for a for for a dinner party. <laughs> wow! Well, I haven't gotten that far, but wow! Sorry, I didn't mean to spoil it for you. No, <laughs> that's okay. Also, although I will say, I don't. This so far in this fandom, I haven't seen a ton of tag abuse, which I appreciate. And there is that tag, Dub Dub, do not eat. That when I see that tag, I take it seriously. Well, what does that even mean? It means it is what it's. It, it's where they're basically saying it. It's what it's. What's on the tin? It's awful. You shouldn't. You know. It, it's sort of like saying this is a dead dove. You shouldn't eat it. It's like saying this is an awful story. You shouldn't read it. Basically, it's basically saying it's awful. Know what you're getting into. So anything that's tagged for dead dove, I, I don't read it, because if they're if they're telling me this, this thematically this is a terif- this is this is no good and horrible. It is what it says on the tin. If they're actually just at, if they're tagging it for that, I'm gonna take it seriously in that fandom. Actually, I take it the other fandom I see dead dove um, on a fairly regular basis is Teen Wolf. Avoid it there too because they're not kidding. Um. I also like Providence by um, Drink Blood Like Wine, Whiskey and Spite, and, and Whiskey and Spite. Is um, that it, Providence? Is that is that the uh, coffee shop one? Yeah, yeah. Fucking coffee shop, are you? I was so irritated because I I pink here when I, I said, "Why am I sitting here reading a Hannibal coffee shop AU?" Which is, you know, I like a coffee shop AU most of the time. Jilly does not. But this was not, this. I'd say, just like Fair Trade, this is not your typical coffee shop AU. So what I don't like about coffee shop AUs, it's the same thing I like about high school AU, is that the characters aren't the characters. They're usually completely re- removed from their canon background, their canon circumstances, and I usually find them to be unrecognizable. And when they are recognizable, it falls flat, because why is a barista that jaded, you know? So 
But this is hilarious because, like, at, see, Hannibal's still Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he um, is. Will figures out he's lying to him, right? And he's like, he's like accusing Hannibal of cheating and cheating. Is, and Hannibal is so devastated at the idea that Will's going to leave him. And he's like, I didn't cheat. I didn't cheat. I killed somebody. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Will's like, strangely, that's better. <laughs> Don't cheat on me, motherfucker. <laughs> That's when you know. That's when you know that at the heart of this fandom, it's just fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Which like the the very first Hannibal fic I ever read, I think it may have been the suicide one. I'm not percent sure, but I think the first one I read, was Crown of Stars, by, and because inexplicable wish babies, you know, whatever. Anytime there's an inexplicable baby, I'm probably going to be on board. But anyway. So, and in that one, it's just, it's so hysterical the way, um, the way Will finds out that Hannibal is, he's, he's the, um, that he's, he's the Chesapeake River. Will, Will figures it out and he gets furious and he goes home and goes, you did it in our house. Do you not care about our family? Not, <laughs> not. How dare you kill people? But yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. We, Hannibal says, so Will says something like, "You'd give." they try to make a compromise, and Will says, you'd give me your leash, and Hannibal says, you already you already have it. And Will says, well, it's going to be a damn short leash for a while. And all he's, all he's upset about is that he's not upset that he's killing people, he's upset that he killed people at home. Like, you did this in our house? <laughs> My, there was actually one where he figures out that he's the Chesapeake Ripper. And that he's eating people. And the first thing he says to Hannibal after, like, all, you know, the initial what the fuck is, don't feed any more of that sausage to my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even, he doesn't even come up that he's been feeding Will people. It's like, don't feed my dogs people. <laughs> and then there's, and then there's that ABO fic. We talked about this on another podcast. There's that ABO fic, which I don't read ABO, but I hadn't filtered it out because it didn't occur to me that ABO would be very high up. In it, it is very popular. Oh, very popular. But now I filtered out because I actually don't want to read anymore. But it had, it still had problematic elements for, for me, but it was so funny that I just had to go with it. And I'm not going to mention it by name. Yeah, that's the one. Um, I'm not going to mention it by name because I just, I just don't ever actually want to recommend an ABO fic to anybody, but... But it was just so funny when Will's sitting there thinking, like, how am I going to let him know that I know that he's the Chesapeake Ripper? And then Will gets pregnant, and he's, like, sitting at the dinner table, and he goes, is this people? Because I'm okay with it, but I feel like I shouldn't be making that choice for our baby. So if if there's people, I don't think that I should I should have this. And Hannibal's just staring at him, and he's like, these potatoes don't have people, right? And he grabs a bite of potatoes and goes, mmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was in stitches. I was in stitches. And then, of course, there's every time she had these epic fourth wall breaks, I would just laugh my ass off. But Will digresses. But Will digresses. I will never get over, but Will digresses. One of my favorite sex scenes in, um, no, that was not Iman No. no. Um, Iman um, it wouldn't fourth wall break, I don't think, like that. Unless she was just pure rotting crack. Um, but um, I hope she's doing really well in medical school. But I wish she was still writing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um. Anyways, uh, 
one of my favorite sex scenes in a story is when Will um, is kind of playing hardcore with Hannibal and he knows what he is. And um, Hannibal kisses him as he's about to leave and they end up in this really, this, this serious clinch, right? And Will said, how about we go back to the dining room and you can have me on your table? And he does. <laughs> on the table. Is that the time travel one that's not really time travel? Um, I think it is the time travel one, but I don't think it's the one that... I mean, they, they go over the cliff and we'll, and we'll wake up in the past. Well, there's several. That, that matches, like, the description at least six. So, um, But there's one where it's not really time travel, because every time Will dies, he winds up at a different point in time. That one, I only read the first one of, and I got so dis- I was so disappointed. Not the, the writing is stellar. Yeah, that, I was, I was, yeah, I think, I think that happens, the same thing, the eating on the table, I think that happens in that one, too. But I and that, so- that might have been the one that I that I actually remember. But I was so disappointed. It, I mean, her choice is obviously it's great thick. It's great. Right up to the end. And they, oh, I was like, ah! <laughs> well, yeah, because you get to the end and you find out. I was so in on the changes Will was making and then I did. And he basically starts over. I had never read the source material so I didn't know it was going to go that way. I'd never read the source material either. But she didn't disclose the source material until you got into the second book, I don't think. But maybe she did. Um, there, Yeah, well, yes and no. Um, did you, so you didn't read beyond that? I did not read beyond that. So what happens is that Will finds a pattern to his time travel. It's like if Hannibal kills him, he goes forward in time. But if he kills, I think if it's he kills Hannibal, he goes back. Anyway, so he keeps dying and um, at one point he comes clean with Hannibal and tells him about what's happened. And this is when they're getting close. He's close to being on the back to where they, he's close to moving back in time. I mean, he's close to moving back to the present and Hannibal kills him. But he tells him first, he says, don't ever tell your Hannibal this. He will not be able to deal with having shared you with so many others, so many other hands. And Hannibal's facilitating moving him through time by killing him. Well, when Will gets to the present where he had gone back initially when he gets there, Hannibal has been time traveling too, but Hannibal only ever went backward. And he kept going backward until he could save his sister. Well, now I kind of want to read it, but I got so mad about the first one. (laughs) And he lived... A full, and it became a source of contention for Will because Hannibal lived this full life, not as a cannibal, so he could provide a life for his sister, but it was like an unfulfilling life for Hannibal. So he's got all this angst, and Will's ira- like almost to, and he, he knows he's like irrationally angry at Hannibal for this thing he couldn't control, and it was getting so angsty that I still haven't finished that last book, that last part of it, last section. But they do eventually wind it back where they started together with them both of having had different time travel experiences. And the last book is about them reconciling to their new circumstances and trying to build its relationship with kind of these feelings that they've got going on. Because Hannibal's very different because he lived a whole life as a small town doctor with his sister and all this kind of stuff. And Will has been having this, he tried as in that first book, that really big expansive attempt 
at fixing the past that ultimately failed. And then he discovered this pattern of how he moves through time. Hannibal kills him over and over again. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I haven't read the source material, so I don't know. I don't know what the book, original book was like, but it's, it's a tough read. It's well written, but it's a tough read. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's, it's really, really well written. I mean, uh, girl, you got it going on if you ever heard this, but it was just like, and what's the title? Because we keep talking about it, but we're not actually telling the title. And there's someone in this podcast who's going to want to listen to it or read it. So we need to find the title. Yes, if somebody could get the series name um, and pr- bring it, we'll, we'll, we'll list it. I know the last one is it's something like We Killed a Dragon Last Night or something. Um, I've, got it, I've got it on my iPad, so I can. But I can't ask you how to get it on my iPad. Woo! Um. What are you doing to your mic, honey? Oh, my, sorry, my cord got wrapped. My cord got wrapped around it. <laughs> I was like, "Is is her hair that long? I don't think so." <laughs> okay, so this the last book is called "We Killed a Dragon Last Night." The series is called. Oh no, the first book is called "We Killed a Dragon Last Night." So the first book, the one that is the long one where Will tries to reconstruct the past, it's like eighty eight k. That one's called "We Killed a Dragon Last Night." Oh, oh, her author name is I Name It Later. Took me a minute to decipher that series of letters. And um, Margaret, could you grab the link for that series by this author? Because I can't, you know, I don't want to take the time to try to get it from. Thank you, Margaret. It's called Our Place in Time, the series. Yeah, that's the series. Okay. I kind of want to read it now. I mean, I. I rage quit the first story because I was like, oh, God, he killed Will. And I was like, what? What's going to happen? Oh, my God. Fuck it. Fuck it. And then he went and he ended up in a different time period. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> but yeah. now I feel like I need to read it. I don't know why I kept going because I had the same reaction you did, which is I got to the end of that first. I got to the end of We Killed a Dragon last night and I was furious. I was furious. I was like, what? This is not. I have no good feelings here. None. I was invested in that that past he was doing. So, but I decided to go ahead and try to read the next part, and I think I was up to, yeah, I was on the I was on the third book. But I worry because I I, I have to admit one of the reasons I haven't finished it is because I'm tense about the direction she's going. Do you want me to read the ending and see how it ends for you? If you want to, I mean, I wouldn't do it for myself, but I'll do it for you. <laughs> so yeah anyway but there is there's like one author that i had to like hardcore boycott and i think it's a fairly popular author because i just i felt so yuck yucky reading their, their works um which is too bad because some of the stories that are really interesting but anyway um but you definitely can't go wrong with Imager or the Hoyden or um, I think of uh, there's another author that seemed to be consistently good, but I'm blanking on their name. But if you only ever give one Hannibal story a try, let it be Blackbird. 
if you can't read, if you don't can't read BDSM, if that just really doesn't do it for you, let it be the What Dream series by Imogere. So the, uh, that would be my. She's just stunning. And yeah. what I I really enjoyed about um What Dreams is that um she, um, Will is powerful in in, in What Dreams, and even in moments when he's really indulging um the whole daddy kink thing, which is just sexy as fuck, by the way. The whole thing is just, it's like, damn. Is that the one where he gets the suit fitted and that really cute guy was in the shop? And Hannibal told the cute guy that, yeah. yeah. And Hannibal tells the cute guy that, that Will's single. Because he's like, I'm going to get you some. <laughs> and Will's like, don't give me to people. Or don't give people to me. That was it. Don't give people to me. Yeah, the I sh- actually want you. The sugar daddy verse. <laughs> yeah. But, um. Yeah, I mean, and it's just like the author is really Imogere is exceptionally talented and um, she doesn't gloss over the cannibalism, but neither does she glory in it. It's just an element of Hannibal's character and it's just there. It's not like she's glorifying the murder or she's glorifying um, what he does with with his trophies. Um, she just it's just part it's just part of his character. And she doesn't shy away from it. Uh her sex is very well written. Um her BDSM was on point. She is um she's just really, really talented. So yeah, what dreams? If you can't read Blackbird, but I there's no reason whatsoever not to read Blackbird. If if, if you read BDSM. Just ignore the part where they eat. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> because like I said, she's not explicitly telling you, hey, this is so-and-so's brain. <laughs> and some authors do in Hannibal. It'll be like, so so whose leg is this? <laughs> yeah, they can get very specific. Oh, look, I know X-Files convinced you that the human brain is diseased and every single one of them will give you that that human version of mad cow disease, but that's not actually accurate. That disease is really, really stupidly rare. But it is really, really stupidly rare. Um, but in that particular town, I wouldn't eat anybody's brain to begin with, but that... It's so stupidly rare that it's just not something that. (laughs) It is an inappropriate ripple. Let's put it that way. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, folks. This is my recommendation, okay? When you're approaching a fandom, especially a fandom that has an element that you have a difficulty with your willing suspension of disbelief, don't read. Okay? Just don't. So if you know way too much about forensics or about how crime is investigated, you know, too much about the FBI. I don't know why you'd be reading in those fandoms if you cannot approach them with a willing suspension of disbelief. That is your job as the reader, is to approach works with a willing suspension of disbelief. And if you don't have it from the jump, why are you doing that to yourself? So if you can't suspend your disbelief, your willings around some of the issues are about cannibalism and stuff, when it comes to the Hannibal fandom, don't read in it. I mean, seriously, don't. Don't frustrate yourself. No one's trying to talk you into anything. Besides, the Hannibal most often eats liver and heart. 
Well, he also does lung. Uh, he does. He's taken sections of muscle in the show. He very mm-hmm. carefully will take sections of muscle and call them loin, kidneys. Yeah. So he's he's a there's yeah there's a drawing where he takes a section of calf muscle. He's got. But I think he only takes one brain on the show that I saw. But only but I only saw the first season. He tries to take Will's, but yeah. Um, but again, I know that X Files episode really fucked some of you guys up. I didn't actually watch it myself, but um, it's not. Move on from the Chaco. It move on from the Chaco Chicken Ranch. It's just time to let it go. Move on because it's not that. It's not that number one. It's not that big of a deal. And number two, it is really stupidly rare. And the likelihood that Hannibal would catch like the one person in his area that has that is like. Really? The only reason it was so prevalent in that town is that one person got it and they all and somebody ate him and spread it. And then that person who ate it got eaten and spread it again. That's how that happened. You know, it started with one dude. But they were sharing the wealth. Unfortunately. Okay. Uh, so let's move on from eating brains because. <laughs> Although just... whenever I think about brains, I think about that that scene in um, Indiana Jones and in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> well, but they also in the in the Hannibal movie you didn't see he eats brain. So, um, but anyway, we're moving on. If it, it's one of those things, it's like. If it freaks you out, don't read it. Or if you can't sit help there sit sitting there thinking go, oh no, no, no. I mean honestly, if this is what you're thinking, a good cannibal would not eat brain. Uh, we need to have a whole different conversation. Because there's not such thing as a good cannibal. There's a desperate cannibal. And then there's a criminal cannibal. <laughs> okay. So, how else should we lean into Hannibal? I, you know, I know that their relationship is is fucked up. It's it's at times cruel and fucked up and mean spirited and manipulative. And my favorite kind of fic is um, both of y'all lay off the capital letters. Uh, anyways, um. My favorite kind of fic is when Will is just as manipulative and in dirty dealing as Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah. When he gives as good as he gets. I had this idea where Will figures out fairly early on that that Hannibal is just Big Ripper. And he figures out that something's going wrong with him. And so he goes elsewhere to get treatment. And he doesn't tell anybody that he's gotten his encephalitis treated. And um, when his brain is clear, he pause stops to consider what he's going to do. Um, anyway, when he, he stops to consider what he's going to do. And so he kind of lets things play out for a while. And then he arranges to have Hannibal caught. And Hannibal spends time in under children's care. And then Will breaks him out. And Hannibal's like, well, what exactly is going on here? And Will says, you spent one month in prison. 
and one month in that facility for every week that you sat there and watched me with that encephalitis. So I'm just letting you know now that you do not want to get into a tit-for-tat war with me. We can move on from this, go have some fun, but do not fuck with me again. Because I will get you back and it will be ten times worse than what you did to me. So there. I need to read that. What is that? That's the story I plotted. Oh, well, write it, bitch. Write it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the difference between us? Because, like, when I was telling her about a story I plotted, she she was like, "Can I? Do I have to beg?" I'm like, "Bitch, read it. You know, write it." <laughs> <laughs> She's gonna do that. But I do think that um, one of the things, one of the elements that I think has to be has to be addressed is the in, um, is the encephalitis. Um, whether you know Will gets cured early, like even before he meets Hannibal, or whether he figures it out on his own that he's actually quite sick and he goes to another doctor um, and then deals with Hannibal's duplicity later, or um, whether Will you know, or whether Hannibal just has a moment and does the right thing. Yeah, which is why most of the stuff I would write, I would write, I want to write season one and then deal with the encephalitis because I, I just need to get that out of the way, right? I need, if it's season one, you can prevent, you know, Will's encephalitis from getting out of control. Um, also, that whole thing where he framed Will for the Chesapeake Ripper murders implies that Will Graham was in that area the entire time the Chesapeake Ripper was active. Yeah. it Im- And, but, but doesn't he see a Chesapeake Ripper scene for the first time in season one? Mm-hmm. Cause he had been dormant. Will was probably in Nor- New Orleans when some of those murders actually happened. They could have easily proved that at best they could have, tied him to the copycat murders that were attributed to the Chesapeake Ripper. But Jack did it. If Jack ever bought into Bill, Will being the Chesapeake Ripper, it, it was shitty investigation. Well, Beverly never bought into it. She never believed that Will was a Chesapeake Ripper. Um, but also the other side of it that was stupid, this was the some of the, this was like one of the few times their writing really fell down was around that was considering how bad Will's encephalitis was, he wouldn't have been capable of carrying off keeping those crime scenes so pristine. And that's something that they should have pointed out. Like, you know, but Alana wasn't really good at her job anyway. No. So that was, to me, that was a weak point. It felt, I felt like they were just trying to be, I felt like that they had done so much flipping, right? They had like, they were, they flipped the script and they had, you know, um, Will and Hannibal working together, you know, and get, becoming close. Okay, so fine. They, you know, they did gender flipping. Um, they had, um, oh, you know, I said Alan Bloom, you, or Sydney Bloom, you have Alan, Alana Bloom. And so it just did all this stuff. And I felt like they were trying too hard to have Will be the one in the mask. You know, that cannibal mask they put on him at the hospital. I thought like they were trying too hard to make that happen. It's like this one thing that felt felt disingenuous it felt strained it felt contrived so the way that season ended with will being framed as the chesapeake ripper i went but how could anybody believe that considering how bad his encephalitis is 
he wouldn't have been capable of pulling off these murders. And yet they did believe it. So honestly, if I'd have come out of that hospital, I wouldn't have spoken to Jack Crawford the rest of my life. No, I wouldn't have either. Because any amount of any amount of investigation could have proved that Will did not commit those murders because he didn't, which means he probably had alibi, um, alibis for most of them. Mm-hmm. And Hannibal would have had no way of knowing if Will had alibis for those murders. Jack Crawford's not evil. He isn't. He is just myopic in his focus. Mm-hmm. He's got blinders and on, and that's all compromised. He- yeah, he's he is he's Captain Ahab in his way. And the Chesapeake Ripper is his white whale. And a lot of things fall um a lot of things fall by the wayside and and people get crushed as a result. It's just it it can make him dangerous. Um I, but I'm not even sure even Jack thought he was righteous. I thought Jack just wanted to get the Ripper. That's all he Jack, cared about. Because Jack wanted Miriam to win. Last, he wa- well, I think it was because of Miriam. He, but that that was, and we talked about this the other night. That was as much on Miriam as it was on Jack. I well, I agree that righteous man thing. I think that's is more Steve Rogers than it is Jack. Jack is too, to me, the way he was in canon, he was very. Um, like I said, he had blinders on, and his white whale was was the Chesapeake Ripper, and he 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 couldn't see the consequences until it slapped him in the face of how he pursued that because he should have been allowed to pursue it the way he did. But I'll, you know, someone said in the chat room that he treats Will like crap and tells Hannibal things that if it wasn't Hannibal who was invested in Will, that it would have gotten Will tight from the FBI. He should have been. Yeah, he should have been. Will Graham is was not qualified to, to do what he was doing due to his medical state. He was compromised. He was very, very, very ill. And Jack Crawford had no business whatsoever bringing him into the field. And honestly, he probably should not have even been teaching. He had no business working at the FBI. As ill as he was. And his empathy disorder. Is is so advanced in the show. That he's actually. So mentally compromised. By his own empathy disorder. That doing that job. Would have eventually. Driven him insane. So he's not qualified. To be at the FBI. In, um, in his canon circumstances. Not because of his intellectual abilities. Which were on point. Or his knowledge, which was on point, but because of his empathy disorder, Jack was going to use him up and toss him away when he was done. Right, but see, the thing is, that's what that's what people in that line of work do, and I don't see Jack right. being particularly different. Is no the, the people who help them solve crimes are resources, and when the resource cannot function anymore, they, they are one. they get a new one. That's what they do. So Will's he's. A tool. He's not pretending, and 
I get it. I get it. Especially if you really empathize with Will, you see Jack as being the person who's taking the least care of Will. And that may be true, but it doesn't make Jack any different than, it, than anybody else. If anybody else were in that position, they'd be treating Will the same way is the problem. So Jack is here's the unique. thing, though. Here's the thing, though, is that um, Will's a grown man. He is. And people. And Jack is not his friend. No. And Will. And- Will is the designated crier in the Hannibal fandom. It doesn't take long to figure out who that is in any given fandom. And people infantilize him the way they do. Which I think is right. Um, and they right. make him, try to make him not responsible for any of his own decisions. So either if, if he is so crippled by his disorder that he is not responsible for any of his own choices, then he is, should not be at the FBI for sure. He shouldn't be doing any of that stuff. The thing is, is that Will was crippled by the encephalitis and he wanted in what honestly is a quite selfish manner to work in the field um, when he was not qualified to do so. Um, Being in the field for Will Graham would have been dangerous and proved to be dangerous for people around him because his empathy disorder is so advanced that he could not have realistically of course, his empathy disorder is actually unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But in those circumstances, he's not somebody you could depend on in the field to watch your back. Well, he's not an agent, but... No, but he wanted to be. I know. But the issue, and the, the problem, part of the problem with some of what they did is they made Will's empathy disorder so advanced. And they basically had him every time he went to a scene stepping into the mind of a serial killer. And so because of the way they portrayed his disorder, that you ha- there's this moment at every single crime scene that he's at where the people around him are potentially their safety's compromised because they're standing with a serial killer. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying don't have don't write well that way. I'm not saying it at all. I'm just saying that there are realistic. It is not like all on Jack to take care of Will. It is also yeah, Will to take care of Will, and it's really also it's honestly it's not also not Hannibal's responsibility because outside of that initial evaluation, Hannibal and Will were very careful to talk about that that Hannibal wasn't tech, technically Will's psychiatrist. He was. They were just having conversations, which also meant that Hannibal didn't have to keep anything Will told him confidential. So. Jack was using Will like a tool. Hannibal saw Will as potentially a life partner, but he had to be broken first and then be remade. He had to be dragged down to the bottom, to the basement, just like Hannibal had been as a child, and then brought back up. Is- in, that, in that last moment um, before the cliff, he tells him that, that this is what I wanted you to see. And Will says it's beautiful. And they're both covered in blood. And then they go over the cliff together. It's very romantic. <laughs> See, I really want to write that um, story we talked about where, like, Bedelia gets to him early on and says, mm-hmm. what if you endeared him to you? And so instead of, so Hannibal arranges for Will to get his encephalitis treated, and instead of and then he starts seducing him with dead bodies, courting him with dead bodies. I really want 
to write that particular story. And Will, because of his, and honestly, this is this is a manipulation of his empathy disorder, but because of his disorder, he sees it for what it is, is the courtship, right? And it's appealing to him because he's kind of twisted, right? He would have to be. I have an idea, but I'm going to share it with you offline. Okay. Remind me. Okay. Um, I think it's pretty unique having read a lot in the fandom, so I don't want to put it on the podcast yet. I'm I'm making a note of, a note of what it is so I don't forget because <laughs> the fibro fog is real. <laughs> um, but what I would say is that you know they did t- take his empathy disorder too far in in the in the show because it it renders him helpless, but it also renders him dangerous in the field. Um, so he could not ever actually function as an FBI agent as he is written on the show. Um, and you compound that with encephalitis. I honestly don't see how anybody bought that he was the Chesapeake Ripper. No, it doesn't mean Will, Will could not. And then a lot, <laughs> and a lot of times to tell him, oh, Br- Will, your brain was boiling. You, you, I know you don't remember doing those things. It's like. He, he wouldn't have been if his brain was that if his brain was so compromised he couldn't remember it and he was that all badly that off he couldn't have he couldn't have accomplished those those I gotta mute myself for a second to look something up I'll okay. be right back but one of the things to consider um we've talked on on many podcasts it, it's in relation to taking a character, a canon character and turning them a little bit and getting a different effect from them and like Kira did that with Sam Carter in Ties That Bind, you know, it's take the character and you kind of take some at the, some of the core of the character and you just kind of turn it a little bit and you get a very different result. And you can really do that with all three of those characters, Will, Hannibal, Jack. You can turn them all a little bit and get something else out of them. And so you could make Jack more manipulative than he... Cause I, that's one of the one of the hard things I see about Jack. As I see sometimes him being portrayed as being super manipulative, and that is where to me it starts crossing the line into being more, you know, like Dumbledore levels of evil. But I don't see that in I don't see that in him in canon. But I do see how you could turn him to being more manipulative. But I think it's more realistic to write him as being just blinded to anything but his whale hunt and you can get a lot of negative effect from that but he also is a character that you could turn even a little bit more to where his he's so hell-bent on getting the ripper no matter what that he crosses the line like crosses way over it um and you could do something like that but you can do it with all three characters all three characters can be turned a little you know to the left to the right and you get a different effect from them you can make hannibal more evil than he was in canon just by turning him a little bit but that's what people do they turn will they, they just kind of nudge him into a different lane and he can become a, a kill you know, murder husbands happens we like we like the murder husbands um and so you can do that with jack too but i would say that is with jack making him that way is a turn it is an interpretation um and I think it's important when you're doing character work that you recognize, really try to be objective about what they're like in canon so that when you're working with turning them to your purpose, that 
like your dislike of the character is not is not a bigger factor than the than the characterization you're doing. Okay. I so hope that made I, sense. It was great. I have been wondering about the encephalitis. And when you said that whole thing where Alana said, Oh, well, you couldn't remember your you know, you know your your brain was boiling. The herpes virus, which often can cause encephalitis, but in most periods of encephalitis can be one to three weeks. So what they're saying in the storyline is that Will Graham had encephalitis for years. Didn't he have, but wasn't his encephalitis autoimmune? I don't remember. Or is that something that I just saw in Fanon? Because autoimmune encephalitis would, could be recurring, right? This article lists a whole bunch of different kinds of encephalitis. I think Will's was autoimmune. But I'm not but it, sure where I got that from. It would have had to have been years. Because, of like, in, in the show, if Atlanta's saying that he did all of this while he was the ch- while he had encephalitis, well, when we, when we encounter... Um, Will Graham and the show starts the Chesapeake Ripper had been dormant and, and Hannibal's been killing for years the Ch- those murders we see on the show are not his first kills obviously so it has been like a couple years since he killed last he has been killing them for years probably honestly it, they could have probably found Chesapeake Rip- um, Ripper scenes that were that, that took place while Will was in high school in Louisiana if they bothered to look. But <laughs> so Alana's yeah. saying if, if he did all of these, I mean, it, I mean, he would have had encephalitis for three, four years. Is that is that possible? You find an article that actually features him in it. Okay. Yeah, somebody actually analyzed the type of encephalitis that Will has, and it is autoimmune. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something because it, when you have an autoimmune condition causing a problem like encephalitis, it can come and go. Right? That's the nature of an autoimmune disorder. Um, so, yeah, he could have had this most of his life. He could have come on in his 20s or 30s. Uh, I don't remember how old Will was in the show, but it could have come on when he was living in New Orleans or something. Um, they didn't write it very well because um, this would have presented when he was... Mo- um, 30% present under the age of 18. Typically, um, after the onset, 10 to 20 days, patients inc- um, develop a movement disorder and variations in blood pressure, heart rate, temperature, and may, be, and may become less conscious. So if Will Graham has been suffering this all of his life, then Hannibal isn't the only one to lie to him about it. Mm-hmm. Which is ridiculous. My suspension of disbelief is in Australia again. Do you want it to pick you up anything? Not a spider, obviously. <laughs> recovery is usually slow. Gross. <laughs> recovery is usually slow, and many patients spend a few months in the hospital, including time in the intensive care unit undergoing ventilation. Those who return to work typically do so only after a year or two. At his age... If this is autoimmune, this this can't be the onset, can it? No. And if it was, not. how was he moving around? 
Well, but if it's autoimmune, it could have he could have had periods of remission, right? That does say in summary, NMDA receptor antibody encephalitis is a recently identified autoimmune disease that causes psychiatric features, confusion, memory loss, and seizures, followed by a movement disorder, loss of consciousness, and changes in blood pressure, heart rate, and temperature. The disease can respond well to various therapies that dampen the immune system and removal of the underlying tumor if one is found, but improvement is often slow. But will improve actually quite a lot. But it's what is typical. This is typical of of TV. Is they'll take like a real disorder, and I, I think they picked the wrong one. And strip <laughs> and strip it down. Um, I I do think it would have been better that it, they hadn't done an auto autoimmune based encephalitis. If I wrote it, it would be it, um, it would be viral because um, but it, it, it still doesn't make sense. So what they're saying basically in the show is that whenever his encephalitis acts up, he becomes the Chesapeake Ripper. <sighs> Except if it was acting up, he would not probably have the mobility to be the, Ch the, the Chesapeake Ripper. Or the organization skills. No. But he he did have... Um... And again, it, he, the, it's obvious then that, that there's a conspiracy against Will Graham and that the entire medical community of the United States, or at least Louisiana and Virginia and Maryland, um, don't want him to get treatment for his encephalitis. <laughs> but we, we do know that it can be... Um, now, I don't know exactly what the treatment for this type of encephalitis is, but you and I both know how hard it can be to diagnose things that are autoimmune. Yeah, and a lot of times, sometimes one of the, some of the medications they give you in their misdiagnosis wind up helping, like steroids. And yeah. he could have been given steroids at various times, especially if if they're saying, "Oh, well, you've got." Because this is something they say, right? They say before they know, right? They don't know what's really going on with you, but the doctor comes back and goes, "You've got some kind of systemic inflammation. We're going to put you on steroids for a couple of weeks." I cannot tell you how many times in my life that's been said to me. Okay, but Sutcliffe diagnosed this was an MRI. The first thing that happened to me when I got referred to a rheumatologist for my autoimmune disorders and issues and all this stuff, MRI. But that's assuming he'd ever been referred to. If he has reported to his doctor missing time. So, so he's been living his whole adult life and not told the doctor any of this ever before until he met Hannibal. But again, you're assuming competent doctor, right? And I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just saying that a lot of people go through years and years and years of doctors ignoring what they're saying and misdiagnosis and they don't get to the right doctor. And sometimes they die of a condition. This is, this is reality in this country. They die of a condition that could have been diagnosed with an MRI, but they couldn't get anybody to order it. Even, you know, if you, if you present to your regular doctor with chronic headaches and migraines one of the first things they're going to do is send your ass off for an mri if you've got insurance now and he worked for the police in new orleans i just i think it's i i, I actually don't find that to strain my, my 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 credulity at all that they he didn't i mean my grandmother had by the time they found it and she had been reporting chronic headaches uh fevers just everything that pointed to there being something wrong in her brain and her doctors wouldn't do anything to actually check her brain. And it wasn't until she fell and we took her to the emergency room and we told the doctor, I was really adamant with him, something is not right with her. 
she is behaving weird. I, and I told her, I said, she must have hit her head, which wasn't the truth. I, I actually didn't know what had happened. But I said, she's not behaving right. But I told her, I said, I think she hit her head. So he said, I can't find any evidence that she hit her head. But if you know, and he was placating me. If it makes you feel better, we'll do an x-ray of her head. That's all he would agree to is an x-ray. She had a tumor the size of a fucking baseball. Son of a bitch. In her brain. He said it had to have been growing for years, which is why she had been so weird for years. And the inflammation in her brain from that tumor. And so my experience, the medical community, the years that she spent with headaches and them not even doing a fucking x-ray, because they could see it on an x-ray, it was so prominent in her brain. It also needs to be said that if it had been your grandfather, she, um, um, he would have had a very different experience. Because you know doctors don't treat women the same way they do men. I could go, I could go into the emergency room with agonizing pain. I could be told it's anxiety in my period. If my husband goes in with agonizing pain in his abdomen, he gets an ultrasound and oh, well, you know, maybe it's a kidney stone, so we'll put you in the whirlpool. I mean, <laughs> as it turned out, my gallbladder was dying. Yeah. Now, if if we would have any problem believing that Will had not been given proper treatment if Will's name was Wilhelmina. But it, it I think the only reason it strains our credulity is because he is a man. A white man. But on the other hand, he also downplays his symptoms, doesn't tell people what's going on with him. I just find it hard to believe that, that, he, that he's got, I mean, if, if it was viral, I would believe it better. I agree. I think they should have picked viral. They should have picked a viral or maybe even a bacterial encephalitis. A bacterial probably, I would have to check, but I would imagine bacterial is easier to recover from because they gave him a relatively short recovery. But um, even then, it wouldn't have lasted years like Alana seemed to think it would. No. So and I, it seems I, like the onset is pretty severe. I mean, I mean, you end up in the hospital for months. How could, how could that... Months. And you, most patients wind up on a ventilator. So that didn't happen. He did have a seizure, though. We aren't asking for much. <laughs> so in this case, it, I, you know, they picked the wrong form of they picked the wrong form of encephalitis, and that's something you can correct as a fan fiction writer, is you can pick a different type of encephalitis. Um, yeah, I agree, Margaret. If you encounter a doctor who doesn't want to run tests on you and tries to say it's in your head, um, make them put it in your chart that you requested it and that they refused. And nine times out of ten, they will turn around and order every single test you want because they don't want to be sued for malpractice. That's how I got an ultrasound on my gallbladder in the emergency room. That is good advice. If you have a doctor in the emergency room refuse to put in your, the, your chart what, what you're saying, you should ask for the charge nurse, and then you should ask for the hospital administrator. Don't fuck around with that. Anyway, continue. Where were we? <laughs> so, I think for both of us, maybe not for everybody, oh, clearly not for everybody, I have read a few post-fall fics, you know, like, they survive the fall, and they... Um, I've, only, I've only read one. I've been avoiding them. Because it's just, it's not as, it doesn't address my core pain point, which is the encephalitis, the betrayal. I don't, I don't actually want them to go through all the, the shit they went through. I don't want, 
I don't want Hannibal making Will an awful soup to sweeten up his brain. I just don't want to read that. Um, I want them to, I want to avert that. So that's that's why I can't imagine not writing it before you know at least during or before the encephalitis, except for that one idea I had where Will figures out his own encephalitis and then he punishes Hannibal for not telling him, but then he breaks Hannibal out of jail and murder husbands happen. So, um, but yeah, I would, I definitely would want to, to try to make that, that part of the relationship, take the betrayal aspect out of it. Because if you're going to lean into Hannibal, you're leaning into murder. So, but we don't need murder and betrayal. That sucks. <laughs> but also, if, you, if you're going to lean in, don't go, I mean, cannibalism is a taboo, right? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very taboo subject. It's a very, you know, the circumstances are, oh my God, why would you do that? Um, but also murder is taboo and I don't see how murder is less of a problem than cannibalism. Right? It's crazy. They're about equal to me. So, you know, don't Oh, no, I think the murder is worse. For well, me. Yeah, you know, you know, eat what you kill. It's it's definitely a final insult. Well, I mean, it's the issue with cannibalism is it freaks us out. It's gross. It is a taboo. People have had to do it to survive. It's a, it's a reality that, now granted, that's all that's going on with Hannibal. So at the core of it, the issue is the murder, right? And so if you're going to lean in on the murder, taking the cannibalism out just kind of feels a little bit to me like mental masturbation. It's like. Or honestly, if you like gloss over the cannibalism, but glorify the murder, something's wrong with you. Just saying. Yeah. I'm like, why? That's like, oh, let's let's really get all in on the murder let's part. Let's just have and a big old giant bloodbath and then cut to the next morning where Will asks, can, can, can I have like regular pig bacon? I want to pace myself. <laughs> <laughs> you weirdo. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. She's just saying. Um, <laughs> now you can't. I I do think that it's disingenuous to Hannibal's character to take the cannibalism out, to just remove that wholesale and make him. Now there are some not a cannibal fix, but the thing is, me thinking it's disingenuous to his character doesn't actually mean shit. It's what do you want to write? If you want to write a Hannibal who's not a cannibal, go all in on it. You know that's fine. But I think but, that works really only in like special AU circumstances um, where it would be difficult for the reader to buy him being a cannibal. Like, you know, if he's living on a space station and there are like 10 people, <laughs> he would not get away with it. He would, number one, he'd run out of food. <laughs> Well, if you give him completely different life circumstances, like you're doing a complete AU, no. But like I said, it, even in even in his canon circumstances, he could just be a killer and not a cannibal. I, like I said, I think it's disingenuous, but that has to be a decision you as a writer has to make. I wouldn't choose to do it. But ultimately... I've never read a Space Station one, but if there is one, I would like to. 
ultimately, you every writer has to decide for themselves what they're going to write. And but all I can say is I think it is doing him a disservice to try to erase his past. That's why I said regular pig instead of long pig. That's why, yeah, she did say regular pig bacon. <laughs> Not special pig bacon, right? Um, we are but, all. Uh, like, when I write him as a sentinel, obviously he cannot be a cannibal. Um, but you're using the sentinel trope that, that right. him coming online to prevent him becoming that those circumstances from happening the same way. Cause even though he's a child, he's a child sentinel who probably goes into, I would imagine like a, a feral combat drive and to protect his sister. And he comes on because come came online and all of a sudden they got an angry little sentinel on their hands. Um, a vicious angry sentinel. Um, who kicks their ass. No, she's just a little girl. But um Yeah, I mean, but outside those circumstances, I if you if you're gonna write Hannibal, write it. Yeah, do it yeah, do or don't. That's 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 where I'm at with it. But like I said, if there are a lot of people who have who have who have don't. They like, okay, I'm not gonna write the cannibal side of it. I'm probably not gonna read it. <laughs> Well, you know. I mean, I'm not reading the fic for the cannibalism, but um, I do think that it speaks to Hannibal's character. Right. And, and you were removing wholesale parts of his character. Um, what are you replacing it with? Right. But you also don't have... There are plenty of good stories that don't show a lot of detail about the cannibalism itself, but they almost all have... And they almost they imply it, right? There's dinner parties, and you basically know what the meat is, even if they don't like have it on screen. You know how exactly Hannibal constructed that strip loin. I'm just saying, you know, people don't necessarily get into the nitty gritty of like the harvesting and stuff, but it's still implied that what the food is. So, I mean, even the show kind of skipped over that part for the most part. Um, you just saw the results. And made assumptions. And a lot of times, you know, you were left to wonder, did did he just feed Will like regular meat or people meat? And you it like it was like really ambiguous. Did did Hannibal take meat all the way to Minnesota? Human meat all the way to Minnesota just to feed it to Will Graham? Or did he get that fresh? That's a good question. Well, he did do some hunting there. He did. I think Ellie just bunnied me in a terrible way. Oh, Margaret, no. I mean, he's 11 years old. He wouldn't have that kind of strength. Yeah. Come on now. I mean, even as Sentinel, he would not have that kind of strength. I mean, he's a little kid. Um, I mean, I, how old was he? 10 or 11? I want to say I mean, 11. But he's very small, so he so he's not going to be able to do that to a full grown man. Um, his kills will be with a knife, and they'll be bloody, but they won't. It, it, it's just it, it wouldn't be realistic for him to do something fucked up like that. Number one, also, it wouldn't be in the sentinel imperative to hang his kill. It that's that's some that's some straight up psychotic behavior, and if that happened to Hannibal as a child, he would not be free. He would be in an institution. He'd go dormant if he was a sentinel doing that kind of thing. There's a there's a sentinel tripping around in the woods, stringing people up, cutting you know, gutting them like they were deer, letting them bleed out. It's me like, oh, 
that's the kind of sentinel that they keep under wraps in an institution until he goes dormant. Yeah. But what if, this is something Ellie was saying, what if, this is an idea, what if there's a distant branch of the Lecter family that it's not, not in, they, it's, Hannibal's aware of them. He's had no contact with them, but he's aware of them. And this, of course, it's weird to fuse these two, but this is just something Ellie said. And it's the Hales. And so he's aware that some relatives through his mother's side of the family live in California. He's, but he doesn't have any contact with them. But they're still his, right? They're still his family. And I could see him being very territorial about his stuff. And then, <laughs> and then somebody kills most of them. And Hannibal decides he's going to go hunting. He's going to go hunting for hunters. I love it. Don't touch my stuff. <laughs> Don't touch my stuff. <laughs> and he digs into exactly who's going to... He meets Gerard Argent and go, you shouldn't have touched my stuff. <laughs> Tell me who else in your family touched my stuff. I think he would. I think he would. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think he'd, I think he'd help Peter, yeah. That's like that's like a hyena coming up on a lion. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I do think Hannibal would see a lot of the behavior that happens, you know, with the hunters. He would see it as incredibly rude, right? You you could have had your little war, but you just had to be impolite about it. So now I'm gonna have to do something about this. I hate being the good guy. <laughs> So, of course, I'm going to eat your liver and your heart and probably a great deal of your thigh muscle because <sighs> i got to get something out of this. And the thing is, if there are secret werewolves, right, you know, they're probably not going to have a whole lot of issue with the cannibalism. No, probably not. I mean, I think on a visceral level, it, I just think it would, the born wolves would probably, not that they, not that I'm saying that born wolves run around eating people. I'm just saying like, it's not probably going to bother them at like at that deep visceral level, like it does humans. So like if Derek found out that this distant cousin of his was a cannibal, he'd be like, hmm, that's kind of gross, dude. But you know, do you like it when they run from you? Is it like a prey hunt kind of thing? Cause if he starts to associate it as prey, it'd be like, eh, okay, whatever. I mean, you're not killing anybody nice, right? It's all rude people. You know, I've got... I know a really rude person I would like to introduce you to. Hey, hey Hannibal. I met this real, this real stupid asshole today, so I got his card and I mailed it to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Derek's just adding shit to his Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be cracky because i don't know how you merge those two fandoms and not have it be kind of cracky but i am stupidly enamored of the idea of hannibal just being kind of like don't touch my stuff you could actually call it that don't touch my stuff don't touch my stuff like i didn't i didn't have any particular need to go and lay claim to them but they were still mine and you killed most of them motherfucker <laughs> I'm going to make some special art out of you. Jack Crawford be like, why the fuck is the Chesapeake Ripper in California? <laughs> We're going to have to rename this asshole. <laughs> Wait, what? has he been to other places? Is 
Jack's all jealous. Why? Why is he leaving the Chesapeake area? Has he always been doing this? How come we didn't know about this? <laughs> it actually doesn't make sense with Hannibal's means that he only kills in this in that one particular area, unless he's literally just fucking with Jack Crawford. I've read a couple of stories where Hannibal is super. He he finds that name super offensive. Um, that he found it terribly unoriginal. That they just named him after the location that he killed, killed him. Mm-hmm. But what if I, I? Can you imagine? Hannibal can be very patient with some of his work. So what if he turned Kate Argent into a planter, like a planter box, and <laughs> planted like wolfsbane in her, and they didn't find her until. The, the wolfsbane plants were mature. I could see him completely doing something like that. I mean, I think in a world where the Chesapeake Ripper exists, most law enforcement would be like, they they see this and go, well, shit. Shit. Somebody get Jack Crawford on the phone. <laughs> shit. Yeah, because that kind of thing, they'd be like, this is not your typical killer. Why is the Chesapeake Ripper on the West Coast? This is not right. Where else has he been vacationing? <laughs> Every law enforcement agency in the country gets a memo from Jack Crawford. Has anything fucked up happened in your county? <laughs> I'm tracing the Ripper. I need to know his vacation schedule. <laughs> what if um, um, Hannibal comes, he, Peter's in the hospital. I like the idea of them being having like a bromance. What if Peter's in the hospital? Oh wait, there is actually a Hannibal team with crossover already. Yeah, it's it's unfinished apparently. I I don't I wouldn't touch I wouldn't touch I wouldn't un- touch that kind of crossover that was unfinished with a ten foot pole. Um, but what if Hannibal came to Beacon Hills and he figures out Peter's circumstances. Peter's, you know, in a coma and he or, or catatonic and he realizes that Peter's not going to heal. So he just goes and finds him in Alpha and brings him to the hospital. He's like, ah, I'm going to have to kill this one right in front of you so you get the Alpha power. This, my life is such a pain. Oh, I can't read this one because Peter is um oh no, pining after um season 2 Styles. How old is Styles in season 2? Uh, probably 17. Gross, Peter. I can't read that. 16, <laughs> 16, 17, depending. I think he's 16 and then turns 17 in season two. He'd have to be because at the at season one, he's driving. He has to be 16 to drive. And then his birthday's in March. So he's 17. Well, I can't read creepy Peter being, I'm creeping on teenagers. Being creepy. <laughs> Creepy Peter needs to only creep on adults, <laughs> not teenagers. This is true, Queenie. Creepers are going to creep. Oh, it's only got it's only one chapter, but I mean, I wouldn't read it because of the pairing. But I also, bitches, you guys know Noah is my unicorn. You know Noah is my unicorn, and him sending his son, his his precious only son. Off to the only person who can handle him, Uncle Hannibal. <laughs> it's just. It's amusing. It's amusing, but it's no. It's a no. For, it's a no for me. 
I think that if Peter, like, if if Hannibal got wind of Peter's pining, he would go to California and kill him. Because that's rude. Yep, pine after teenagers. Now, at that Peter could pine after Noah, and I could see to- I could see Hannibal totally facilitating that. It's like, and actually, he could like, probably. Well, yeah, I mean, it. he's done some terrible things, but you know, we all need love, Noah. <laughs> I've recently embraced this myself. Well, but <laughs> Peter hasn't done terrible. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have done terrible things at that point. It's in season two. Oh, oh, that story. I'm talking about the one I was talking about. Oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'd done some fucked up things by then. I mean, not that they didn't have it coming, because they did, but... <laughs> Queenie. No. <laughs> I would actually never... Actually, that's the line I wouldn't cross. I would not ever have... I, would, I wouldn't write Hannibal murdering. Teenagers, even if it happened in canon, I wouldn't do it. I think Abigail was actually an adult when he killed her, wasn't he? Wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but see, no matter what they deserve, you need to pay attention to your character. Your own character. Um, Because while Scott probably deserves to be turned into pate, um, having Hannibal kill a 15 or 16 year old boy is an extra layer of disgusting and also quite rude. Yeah. That's so why I wouldn't do it. I, w- I, w- I would. But Hannibal would have other ways of, you know, getting people. I just find the idea amusing that his, his first thought when that fire happens is, don't touch my stuff. And he goes hunting for hunters, right? I don't Who touch he... my stuff? <laughs> I mean, honestly, the way I perceive the character is if Will Graham's not involved, he's not interested particularly in doing too much helping. Although I could see him being like, you know, he needs Peter on board to handle some of this stuff. So he goes and gets an alpha so that Peter can have the alpha power so that... Peter if Hannibal better. knows they're werewolves, yes. But if Hannibal doesn't know they're werewolves, I think that... Um, because Peter is family, that Peter might be the victim of a mercy killing on on Hannibal's part. Because he's suffering like nobody's fucking business, and the doctor in him would know that. Mm-hmm. And if the mercy killing didn't work, that could make Hannibal very curious. Very curious. It's like, oh, that, that shot... Yeah. Should have worked. That overdose of opiates should have killed him. It should have killed ten of him. And yet... But we know the damage didn't start healing for... Ever. Until he got the alpha power. So... I I think that... I think that one of the fanon theories for that is that somebody was, like, dosing him with either mountain ash or wolfsbane or something. Like, small doses to keep him from healing. But it it's usually not explored in a way that makes any reasonable sense. Like why, what, to what benefit is there to keeping Peter in a coma? I mean, I could just kill okay. him. So Deaton's doing it because Deaton wants to hail Alpha Spark. And he thinks that Laura Hale might eventually come back to deal with her uncle. Who's not recovering, except she doesn't really care about her uncle, Peter. Um, but he's basically there as um, as a lure for both Laura Hale and Hunters. Um, that's not really 
um, kosher because, well, somebody had to know where Laura and Derek were because they filed insurance on their family and on their house. It wasn't like they were living. I mean, they were, Derek was in college in New York. They weren't like hiding. So that theory doesn't actually hold water in a modern society. It wasn't like the, the, the 1800s and we couldn't figure out where Laura and Derek went. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It, but sometimes we have the stuff in canon that doesn't make sense. And then the fandom theories to try to explain it sometimes make less sense. And it's like. So if Deaton is dosing Peter to keep him docile, maybe he's hoping Laura will come back and figure out why her uncle hasn't recovered. Um, because, or maybe he thinks that Peter has the alpha spark, but either way, it's about the alpha spark and he, he's grooming Scott as soon as he gets a hold of him because he wants power over the preserve for some magical reason. I mean, you could work it. What, it, or it could be something like, um, the only way that he, that his, the, his oath, his emissary oath to the to the whatever they are, such as they are, to the Hale family, allow him to like tap the um, the magic of the Nematon. But if there's no Hale on in Beacon Hills, that bond dissolves, and so he has to keep Peter subdued so that he can keep his access to the Nematon. Otherwise, it would just he wouldn't personally have any access to it because maybe the Hales are bound to the territory in that way or something you could and work it maybe that's why laura left him behind it's to keep a hail on the land yeah mm-hmm. and so deaton's preventing him from healing um so that could be a reason and then we, we you and i talked about another reason in that plot drift you and i did in mm-hmm. private um another reason why he might have been eight which and, is exciting yeah i really like that so um but anyway, that that's a tangent on the Teen Wolf. But it could just be I could just see I, I just got this vision of Hannibal being like, "Don't touch my stuff." And he's hunting hunters. He's like, "Let's find out why these hunters, these people." I do think he'd eventually figure out about werewolves. And he'd want to know exactly how to avoid werewolves because that's not a victim that he wants to ta- tangle with. <laughs> yeah, I think Kate I I think Hannibal finding out that um Kate date raped his his nephew cousin bro whatever um he would kate wouldn't last long kate would not last long at all um when you're writing a character like hannibal you you need to keep in mind um the fact that he's a very complicated person and um his um his motivations are always going to be layered even as a sentinel i've been thinking about it for several days and I'm going to end up writing this story pretty soon actually probably I won't be able to help myself um in that uh even even as a sentinel I think that uh he would have uh, layers upon layers of complicated emotions around the the murder of his family and um even how he dealt with it at such an early age and his response to that and he would be um in a lot of ways, a very rigid character, one of um, deep self-control. Um, I think that having that kind of experience could even lead him to um, 
be very obsessive about his things, his his house, his place, his appearance, um, and all that stuff. If Hannibal is related to the Hales, it might be more realistic that he finds out about the fire because Laura takes Derek and runs with him straight to Baltimore. And he realizes and, and he gets a story from them. Um, but Kate, I mean, but, but Laura is really just about to dump Derek on Hannibal Lecter um, because I don't think she's much of an alpha. And I, I don't think she was prepared to be responsible for um, her little brother, who she probably in some way blamed him for the death of their whole family and their circumstances. Um, it would be unrealistic to think that she didn't. I, and Derek, I think she probably did. Derek would get psychiatric care. So Derek um, ends up living with Hannibal Lecter and he goes to, you know, Johns Hopkins <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> he, you know, and Hannibal takes a vacation um, after doing some research and finds Kate Argent and kills her dead. Uh, but I, but I do. Yeah, I do think. Yeah. But honestly, if I was writing that, I'd be tempted to make Hannibal a werewolf. That'd be interesting. Or maybe actually him maybe they're distant really related and um he sees Laura as a problem. And so he talks Laura into giving him the bite. Then he kills her and takes the house um um the hail spark. <laughs> I'm not mad at it. <laughs> well, then, what's the point of being a werewolf if he, if he if he can't transform? What's the point? Yeah, I don't like to write angsty shit like that. And that but would what, be some kind of angsty d shit. So I, I wouldn't want to write it. But what does it get you? I mean. I I don't know what him not being able to transform accomplishes other than, like you said, angst. And to what extent can't transform? He can't make fangs. He can't make claws. He can't have a beta shift. I mean... And again, I come back to, but why? Oh, there is nothing repressed no. about Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> no. If he were the type to suffer from repression, he he would not be eating people. <laughs> If he was a werewolf, he'd be all in on being a werewolf. He no. I you know honestly, if if Hannibal was a werewolf from birth, um, that would have mean he was in a werewolf family, and those soldiers would have never stood a chance against um his family, unless they came prepared to fight werewolves. And why would they have? But no, I would write it that he talks, he manipulates Laura into biting him, and then he kills her. Well, the implication of Han Hannibal being a born werewolf is that one of his parents is a werewolf. He can't be born to human parents. So, an 11-year-old werewolf, and at least one parent's a werewolf, that circumstance that happened in canon would go down different... No, that's bullshit. I don't believe it. My suspension of disbelief is back in Australia. Do you want anything? A drink? Some wine? Wolf spider? <laughs> so one of the things about a thought experiment like that, 
about well, what if he's the only werewolf in generations or something like that. Well, A, it's not consistent with Teen Wolf canon at all, in which case it's a different type of werewolf story. But when you're doing a thought experiment like that, I usually like to know what I'm trying to get out of that kind of thought experiment. Like, where am I going with this? And that's what I'm not clear on and what it gets you to have a repressed werewolf who can't transform, who is... I mean, unless you just want to emotionally torture your character. And if so, that's fine. I'm not going to read it. But that's fine. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you do travel down a path to see what could we do with this. But with that, that's a little, it's so, it's kind of out there. Um, but again, this is more questions, but I still don't understand what you're trying to get out of that kind of, what does it get you? <laughs> Girl. <laughs> I'm going to ignore your thought experiments now. because <laughs> Well, they keep your silly to yourself. <laughs> Go in the corner. But no, but seriously though, I mean, if, if Hannibal is born a werewolf, then one of his parents must be a werewolf. Nothing else makes sense. Um, in the, So that when those soldiers came onto their property, um, they would have been faced with at least one werewolf parent and at least one werewolf child. At an 11 years old, an 11 years old as a werewolf is a whole different animal, literally, than an 11 year old human boy. So those circumstances would have gone down that really differently. So in the whole, and your whole timeline for Hannibal and all the characterization falls completely apart because now you're in a complete AU. So I, if I was going to write it, and I won't, but if I did, I would have him get manipulate Laura into biting him. We're not listening to you anymore because you already said you're tired. Uh, <laughs> And you have no point with these, with these thought. You have no, 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 no. Where you're going with these thought experiments? Laura, Laura fits better with what? We're ignoring her. She's tired. Okay, moving on. Laura, I agree with you. If and I, I really like this idea. So you know, I might go all in on it. But he manipulates Laura into biting him. He kills Laura. He's got a 15 year old Derek to raise. So he's so he now he's providing a stable pack environment for Derek. And Derek's going to grow up, you know, with with lots of psychiatric care and really fulfilling meals. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Hannibal could be like, Derek, I think the most the best way for us to deal with your feelings about this Kate person is we should go find her. And kill her. Mm -hmm. I think you'll feel much better. And we need to pick up your uncle. Because I feel the need for... He, that could be really frustrating for him as an alpha that he feels like he needs pack. He could bring Peter to Baltimore and put him in um, a hospital that he has privileges still at. So he can take care of him and um, learn werewolf healing. Well, with Pete, with, with, um, I don't think he needs to put Peter in a hospital. I think he just takes him home. Because yeah. Peter wasn't in any way dependent on medical intervention. And I think with pack bonds, he would start to heal. What the hell would Deaton be able to fight anything for? He would have no legal rights whatsoever to Peter Hale. Um, why am I still engaging this this um, this person who should probably be in bed sleeping? <laughs> um, and honestly, I I think if Deacon said one word that he didn't like, that Hannibal would just kill him. 
Because he's, he's it's a lot easier for him to kill now than it used to be. And he he keeps sitting there going like Hedwig sitting there going, well my my untimely kills the ones that are not theater they can all just collect mountain lions. How interesting. Would he turn Will? I think he absolutely would turn Will. Absolutely, he would bite Will. And part of pack bonding in a, in a Hannibal pack would be taking them out in the woods, getting him to hunt, run down prey, because he's got to prime that pump. In every way possible. We gotta... Maybe even Hannibal tells him that he's a werewolf and says... Um, since, since medical science doesn't seem to be able to help you, Will, <laughs> I'd like to offer you an alternate solution. And, I, you know, honestly, you could even write it where th that, um, that becoming a werewolf um, allows him greater control over his empathy. I probably would write it that way. Oh, yeah, he would definitely kill the hunters. I'm not talking about the hunter kills. I'm talking about Hannibal kills a lot more people than the Chesapeake Ripper does. So the Chesapeake Ripper kills in canon are theater. But Hannibal kills more people than that because he's serving people all the time and the Chesapeake Ripper was inactive before pre-canon. So Hannibal is not making theater out of all of the people he kills. That's canon. So I think he would definitely make can theater out of the Argents, but it, being a werewolf would give him a new tool in his arsenal to hide his kills as being what they are. The ones he does for meat. Am I getting? Am I leaning into this too hard? No, not at all. There's no such thing. Um, I also do think that if Hannibal had been born a werewolf, um, that the, the Chesapeake Ripper would never have existed. I agree. Because he would have instinctual drives, and I think that need for artistry would be far less important than keeping his species a secret. And he would be, you know, I think the theatrics would take a back seat if he had been born a werewolf. But if he becomes one after the fact, after he's already established his theatrics, that, that's a different animal. Hmm. So let's go on a different uh, let's go on a different tangent. Let's let's drop the wolf thing. Okay. Um, I'm curious about it, but I think we need to move on. <sighs> I'm trying to get figure out how. So one of the things in my plot that I haven't quite worked out completely is exactly how you get Will over to the murder husband thing because the path to murder husband in the show was a really painful long process so in this i in this idea where where hannibal's kind of in trying to endear will to him with his courtship of through corpses would it just be leveraging will's empathy to get him to see the chesapeake ripper as because with his empathy wouldn't it work that way he keeps getting these courting overtures from Chesapeake Ripper, and wouldn't he eventually Kim, start Kim, to... I have an idea about this, but like I said, I want to keep it Okay. share it later. Okay. Okay, so let's try a different idea. Um, 
Sorry, guys. It's just it's. I think it's pretty unique. And um, if she's going to write this, I want her to have it and it not to be on the podcast until you know um, she's actually done it. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm not interested in the movie care. I'm not interested in the movie castings for Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter at all. There are there are there are two at least two Hannibals in the movies. And no, I'm not interested in uh, what's his no, face. I'm, no, I like the castings in the TV show better across the board. It, because it's the casting in the TV show. It's it's Mads Mikkelsen and Hugh Dancy on screen together that make this fandom work It's for magnetic. Me. It is gorgeous. There is something. I mean, you know, honestly, I know that um, um, Hugh Dancy is very, very married. But if I was ever, ever in my life tempted to ship RPF, that it, it would be them. <laughs> I mean, it was just <laughs> their the chemistry, chemistry is like fire. Yeah, so I would not I would not bring in um but I do like some of the movie verse and some of the book verse as far as like um the psychology of uh Hannibal's character. Um and uh I think that I would want to tone down Will's empathy to be more in line with the character that we saw in the movies because I think it cripples him in the show. I don't know that I would go quite that far. I mean, not like him. it's like completely, but like, Cause I didn't it, feel like it borders I didn't, on paranormal. In yeah. The show. Well, I think that that they were, I, th I think they were doing that. They were really making it outrageous, but I do think that uh, like the Will Graham and Manhunter, was just I think he was just super insightful, um, but he typically didn't go to live scenes because I thought Manhunter until the show came out. Manhunter was my favorite. I love Manhunter. Uh, no, the, the King Arthur connection. The only thing there at all is if you're going to do a past lives thing. It past lives is not something I'm ever interested in, in writing about. I might read it, but I'm I've never in my life been interested in writing a, a past life progression so the king arthur thing i know people do it because they're shipping the two actors in both shows i have zero interest zero so so people enjoy writing a past life progression where they show things from the past and they show them moving through their lives together i would not enjoy writing that I rarely enjoy reading it. I've read a couple that I thought were good, but generally what happens is they often wind up nonlinear and then I just start getting irritated. Yeah, I can't stand to read a nonlinear story. I hate it in movies too and in TV shows. That's why I couldn't watch How to Get Away with Murder. I was so pissed yeah. off. I was looking forward to it so much. Because if you have a linear storyline, you've got first you've got the you know Tristan and Galahad story, and then you've got like a maybe even another set of characters, and then you've got like a a Will and um, Hannibal story. And I'm not interested in reading King Arthur fan fiction. So what I would do with that becomes an issue. What I would do with that is that I would write a, pro a, a prologue with with Tristan and Galahad, and um, in it, Tristan would die. In Galahad's defense. Um, and it would end with Gal you know, with, with Galahad's grief. Just immense grief. And, and that would be the prologue. And then I would open the story with Will Graham meeting Hannibal Lecter. And feeling this, this inexplicable connection that he that he cannot explain. That would work that would work. Yeah. It's just it's um 
it, to me, it feels like really, I think it's a good plot device, but if it wasn't, if there wasn't that connection to the King Arthur movie, would you have any reason to want to write a past life thing like that? Probably not. So, although I have had, I, I have an idea for one for John and Rodney, um, but it, but but again, it would be like mostly set in the present, and then like that have that one or two scenes in the past. Yeah. Um, but, but um, it it's what happens is this is why we wind up with like you know Sherlock and 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 John Watson are remembering that they used to be a dragon and a hobbit in another life. It's like, it's just reaching. I, I, it, it doesn't work for me. It works for some people. That's great. You do you boo. Uh, it just, I don't like it. Or worse that Bilbo and Smaug were actually a couple. Come on now. <laughs> Only if he's a shifter. <laughs> Well, but, uh, but we're not, Moriarty's outside the thing. The point is, is people use this trend of actors who've been in multiple movies together to try to make a connection between the movie or the TV show or whatever. And I just, I don't, I don't, it doesn't do anything for me. So. Did you see what the camera put in the chat room? Well, wasn't it like Hearst was going to be blamed for everything? Isn't that how we started the whole night? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hearst was supposed to spend the whole night in the corner. You said that frottage. Uh huh. Okay. In my head, I've always said it frottage, just just so you know, a frottage. Her suggested frottage for um, Smog and, and and Bilbo. So um, you're in the corner, and also um, you have to go to Amazon and buy Taken by the T Rex. Yeah, and talk about chafing. I'm just saying. And you have to read Taken by the T Rex. <laughs> Nice rejoinder. <laughs> nice rejoinder. I'm You can come back out of the corner for that one. Yeah, you can. Those of you on the podcast, she said, How do you know I have it? Okay. <laughs> you can come back out of the corner, but Kai, you still have to stay. <laughs> okay. Oh, I like I said, I have a John and Rodney um plot bunny where they were um the historical version of John and Sherlock. Oh okay, okay. But it for me it it that's fine. I mean that that's like organically you come up with an idea of them having a past life together. That's cool. I don't have a problem with that. It's this sometimes these contrived connections between movie and TV show or something between movie and movie just because the same actors have been in them. It's just like come on, please, can we please not? Um, it's sort of like um, like the Bill of the 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 Lord the Hobbit and Sherlock connection is like the most egregious, right? Like, you know, John Watson remembers being a hobbit. It's like, ugh. and it's not that, and of course, of course, Sherlock can't remember being a dwarf. No, Sherlock has to remember being a dragon. I mean, come on. They might be. They might be. And sometimes they have no connection. There's actually no past life or anything. It's just they're tagging the bigger fandom to get readership, Dude. which is just fucking irritating rude. and rude Hannibal should eat your face right off your skull <laughs> there's a bunch of Hannibal fix that are King Arthur fix but they're tagged for Hannibal and they have no Hannibal and Will in them but they're tagged for that fandom just because the actors played Galahad and Tristan 
my eyes just roll all the way to Australia. Anyway, that's a tangent. So I want a cookie. Dude, they're sharing cookies. They're not giving us any cookies. I'm not getting any cookies either. Okay. I don't have a cookie. I want a cookie. It's too late now. Uh, I've, I've already caught feelings about it. <laughs> right and Red has a Mac, and Macs have excellent compatibility and sharing with one another, so I'm getting <laughs> a cookie. Right and Red's going to airdrop that cookie to me. <laughs> Um, so, um, <laughs> and Queenie's gonna get a cookie too. Anyway, so past past lives. Um, I, what let's talk. Let's talk about time travel because it's my favorite, and there's not enough. There, it, there is a real dearth of it. This this fandom needs it. But the thing is, we we talked about one night that that we we both gravitate towards Will being the time traveler because Hannibal has such a he has too much power already. He has too much power. But I was trying to think what if what about a way to make it so that it was Hannibal? What if what if it was a Hannibal who just really needed to make things right or make things better? He's not going to stop being a cannibal, but he okay. He needs to fix things the best way he can. And maybe he fixes it through dead bodies, but he he losing Will was worse to him than anything has ever happened. So Okay, I've got an idea. Okay. They Play fall. They fall. Yeah. Hannibal gets them to shore. But Will's dead. You're already making me sad. How about you said you have an idea? <laughs> I do. Okay. I do. And Hannibal is ferociously fear he's just ferocious he's just he's so angry he's so angry and he stays angry and he hunts maliciously and he goes on a killing spree and he gets himself killed he he's laying there dying and all he can think about is will graham and he wakes up in jack crawford's office being introduced to Will Graham. Hmm. He, he closes his eyes, and the next thing he knows, he's him. He's sitting in that chair in Jack Crawford's office. Hmm. Okay, I mean, I think it's important that he live with Will's death for a little bit, mm-hmm. I and, not, and, and not have it be immediate. I mean, if like at the fall, if Will immediately time travels, good. But if it's Hannibal, I think he needs to survive without Will for a little bit. And then go down in a blaze of glory. Um, basically suicide by cop. Because um, I don't think Hannibal would kill himself. But I think he would orchestrate circumstances where, um, no, I would not have him die on Will Graham's. I don't think actually Will, um, Will, would, um, Will would have a grave. Um, I don't think Jack Crawford would allow it. Um, because it would um, it would be a psychological Knife in in Hannibal's. Well, yeah, Jack's gonna know. I think that Hannibal would not desecrate Will's body, so he's gonna leave Will's body somewhere it could be found, so it will be treated. So, so Will will be treated with respect. He's not gonna mess with Will's body, and I don't think he. W- I I think Hannibal would want him to have um, a proper funeral, 
But I also think Jack Crawford would deny him that and would um, either have Will cremated and keep the ashes or have Will's body in evidence and have him sitting in a morgue somewhere. The exact opposite of what Hannibal would want. Yeah. Because Jack Crawford's actually very talented. He, you know, in um in the books and in the movies, he is on point when it comes to being a profiler. He would know um, that giving Will Graham the respect he's due is exactly what Hannibal wants, and he would deny him that because he because he is hateful, and also because he knows it would work. It would bring Hannibal out quicker than anything else. It might be interesting to have Jack be the one that pulls the trigger on Hannibal because Hannibal refuses to give in. To give up. Yeah. I can see that. Um, and then you know he he dies and he wakes up in Jack Crawford's office. And like for a moment there, the desire to leap over that desk and rip Jack Crawford's head off would be so intense that it would probably make him sick to his stomach. Have you <laughs> have you ever been that furious where just like just like your whole body goes and you just clench up, everything clenches, and your stomach starts hurting. That's where that's where he would be. It would be the most infuriating moment of his new life. <laughs> I don't know if, if Will would see it. I mean, like, how long has he been in the office before Will arrives? You know, but I think it'd be a really good starting point for a time travel. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think it you got to give Hannibal the motivation to want to do something different. And actually, I mean... I think that moment when, when Will says, it's beautiful. Hannibal, was in that moment, he was given everything he wanted from Will. He brings him in, he presses his face against Will's, and he's, he's content for the first moment, for probably since his family was murdered. He is content. And then Will pushes him over that cliff. And it's taken away from him. So he's going to do everything he possibly can to get that back. Yeah. But he loves Will. I think it, I, I think that's canon that he's in love with Will. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so I think that this Hannibal would not let him suffer with encephalitis. And he would not frame him for his crimes. No. Um, because he, you know, I, you know, yeah, yeah, it's canon. I think that he, that he's in love, that they're in love with each other. To be honest, as dark as that is, for for Will Graham's sake. But he's gonna still have to. He's and he's gonna have to figure out what part of the journey he still has to take, or what kind of journey he has to take Will on, because he has to get Will from where he is to where he wants Will to be. Um, it's I a think very. He'd want to be more honest about it. Yeah. See a will that goes back. It's very interesting because I do think that there's a an element. One of the, one of the elements I've seen in the time travel fix where Will goes back is that the Hannibal of that time is not interested in him yet. And one of the th things that Will has to a Will who wants to rekindle the relationship is he has to figure out how to get Hannibal interested. And it's always interesting these stories where Will is driving, trying to pique Hannibal's interest. Um, and it's particularly interesting when, when Will decides to do it through dead bodies. But the problem is, is realistically that could backfire just as easily as it could. Work. And it did in that one fic. Yeah. 
it horrifically. Yeah. Hannibal was not impressed. Um, although it does come up in the next book that it that Hannibal tell the Hannibal that he confesses everything to tells him he it was all psychological. He didn't really do what you think he did. So, um, and then Will thinks it through and realizes there's evidence to support the idea that Hannibal didn't do the awful thing that made Will so angry. But anyway, so it's a very different vibe because um, one of them, they're, I think they're both kind of seduction. It's weird. I think both ways I would do it, regardless of who was a time traveler, it'd be a seduction through murder, right? Because I could definitely see Will trying to. I think a Hannibal that time travels would not pick up the torch of the Chesapeake Ripper again. I think that the Chesapeake Ripper would remain dormant. I'm not saying he would not be killing people. I'm just saying he wouldn't be doing it as that I'm, I, I'm no. at the Chesapeake Ripper. I agree. I think the Chesapeake Ripper would be over with. Because he would not want to associate what he's doing with Will with anything that had happened before. He could take, and actually if he very aggressively right from the beginning takes great pains to kill anybody who does anything to upset Will Graham. Jack Crawford's not going to last long. <laughs> no. No. But aside from that. Aside from that. You've got, what you've got is a situation where Will would discount Hannibal initially as being responsible. Because Hannibal doesn't know him well enough to be that attached to him. Because his empathy would say, this is somebody who knows me and knows me well. But the other side of that is, is that there's nobody in Will Graham's life that would know him that intimately. Not even Alana Bloom. Which could confuse the fuck out of him. He could talk, <laughs> he could talk to that because this is somebody who knows me. But I don't know anybody who knows me this well. This guy he gets, was, in, um, he, um, he gets inexplicable packages from Amazon with dog food in them. Yeah. <laughs> really good gourmet dog food. <laughs> The expensive stuff. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, actually, with Will, I don't know that it would up his paranoia, because I think he would be like fascinated. Yeah, he would be a hundred percent fascinated. Because his empathy—if he's putting himself in the kill in the shoes of the killer, right? That's what he does. He puts himself in the shoes of the killer, and what he sees is someone who is at least fixated on him, and eventually sees this as somebody who loves him. Maybe the first scene he'd be like, oh my god, this guy, he adores me. And he's like, whoever's doing this, I think, I, and so I think that that would curb, that would prevent the paranoia. Because his empathy would be paying in going. Although realistically, I don't think he would kill Jack. Um, because I think Jack's a great foil and I wouldn't want to get rid of him. Um, but I think that he would probably teach Jack, um, Jack, Jack Crawford a lesson or two about treating Will with respect and with humanity because he doesn't often do that. Yeah. Would, would Jack get suspicious of Will? I think that a Hannibal, time-traveling Hannibal who's trying to seduce Will would not let Will get blamed for his crimes again. I think he would make sure not to let that wrong go, ha go through. So I'd, I think he'd make sure that Will had alibis Shadow thinks she hates us. I mean, she thinks it. She doesn't. She loves us. She wants to marry us. 
the thing is, part of the issue is I don't know. I would I would have no clue at all how to write. I have to. I that could be spending a lot of time in some dark places in my head of thinking about how to stage a crime scene so that Will Graham would look at it and go, "Oh, this is a love letter." I have ideas about that too. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll talk about it. Um, we're hurting people. We're hurting people terribly. But I am always full of really good ideas. I'm an excellent bounce partner. She is. Um, um, I like. Thank you, Kaya, and and Jilly. Kaya and I did a really good bounce. Hopefully, she will write that idea so we can share it with the world. Um, but if not, that's perfectly okay. It was just a really good bounce. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ellie. Ellie sends and that that could be it could be that you know after after Wade divested those bodies of the fingers, he didn't want them to go to waste, so he sends them to his good buddy Hannibal. I hope he used dries. I would hope so. And then Hannibal calls Wade and goes, What did you do with the fingers? And then Wade could be like, I sent them to my honey bear. <laughs> but I didn't need the rest. <laughs> No waste, you know, waste not, want not. Well, thank you, Wade. I appreciate your courtesy. And he could be, yeah, you sent them to your honey bear. Yeah, in a flat rate box. I just got the most terrible crack idea about Deadpool and Hannibal. Okay. What's that dude that's, that, that's tied to the rock that, that gets his liver eaten every day? Prometheus, right? So what if, like, Deadpool was in Hannibal's basement as his personal Prometheus? Ew. I said it was terrible. <laughs> we, I like, mean, we like that, that's the that that's the gift that keeps on getting not when he's got his mutation going on. Only when he has the collar on. Kira, we like Wade. But really, I mean, would he care? I mean, not like long term. But Han for for a weekend he might find it kind of amusing. Wade would? Yes. <laughs> he might. He might. <laughs> Think it through. <laughs> well, in I mean, and maybe like if he like loses an arm, he just sends it tangible. Yeah, that's what I was thinking in Deadpool 2 when the juggernaut rips him in half. He doesn't get reconnected. He regrows his legs. Well, what if he puts his legs on ice, his whole lower body? And so I mean, because he does make her carry the legs back. He does. He does make her carry the legs. And he sends them to Hannibal and says, no one's ever eaten me before. <laughs> I feel like I need to have this experience. I'm just saying. Uh, we're, we're, we got we got to move away from this because it's kind of it actually is kind of grossing me out. Um, okay, Wade would definitely be salty. Wade is always salty. Um, what were we on before the crazy crack? Time crack travel. Idea? I know um, we're on time, time travel. travel. Um, oh, so he's we were talking about how to to. Uh, stage the bodies and you said you had an idea and then we went down that little tangent okay what about um let's try another kind of au because we agreed the time travel if you're going to do time travel it would be post fall and it would go back to season one that i think that's our metric for time travel uh what's the other kind of au 
Someone has already done the coffee shop AU, and I would not write a high school AU on a bet. Not even with Hannibal fandom, not even a sky high AU. I mean, no. I, I, I couldn't go through power placement with a cannibal. It's just. Um, there are a lot of vampire AUs in the Hannibal There family. are. And uh, it, there's some um, werewolves ones as well. And Wendigo is very popular. Head tilty for me, all of it, but okay. Um, there's one where Will's a banshee, but I haven't read it yet. But one thing I would say is I don't like um, to read books where like werewolves and vampires are known, but but they're second class citizens. Yeah, that's just icky. But these these all these ideas that are coming from the chat room right now, they're all basically variations on a theme, which is some sort of supernatural creature. Paranormal. So, we're going to move past paranormal into something else. Let, let's like those. um, like some of the major tropes is like uh, soulmates. Um, okay, let's do soulmates. Let's do soulmates. Okay. Okay. I had a for starters, I had a thought about soulmates the other day. Ooh, remind me later to tell you about this time travel idea I had. We're not being fic teases, we promise. Is that some of this stuff could end up being quantum bang stuff? So, you know? Gotta care for what you're talking about. But what what was I gonna say? Um, oh, soulmates. soulmates. Oh, so I was thinking about soulmate AUs. The other day. And I've always liked the... There's a couple of variations of Soulmate AUs that I tend to prefer. Um, one is... Well, the whole... You've got the, your your loved one's first line on your arm. That's interesting. I don't mind it. I do not like the one... The, the trope where it's the last words they'll ever say to you. So you don't know your, your, it's your soulmate until they die. That's fucked up. Um, I don't like the countdown clock. I read one where... Thorin's last word, um, th um, Thorin's words on his arm were, the eagles are coming. <laughs> yeah, right, see? I don't, I don't like that. I, I cried, I was so upset. I knew a, it was coming, right? Yeah. But As a soulmate device, I tend to not like um, the countdown clock. So of the big of the big tropes, the ones I tend to like the most are the name on the arm or that their mark appears when they touch or or are in each other's presence for the first time. The, the the mismatched eye thing I think is super weird. Like when you meet when you meet lock eyes with your soulmate, you each you swap an eye kind of thing. Whatever. I'm just doing that. I read one where soulmates were born with the other person's eye. And Hannibal had spent his whole life with one blue and one maroon. And in his blue eye, he could use Will's empathy. I have not run across a story. And when he and Will met, their eyes shifted back to normal. And then Will had two blue eyes and Hannibal had two maroon eyes. And one of the things that he missed was his ability to use Will's empathy. Oh, that's interesting. But anyway, so of the it's weird, there are different <laughs> there are different ways of implementing even a trope that I a, a, a device that I a soulmate device that I don't like. There are ways of implementing it that could still be, that'd be good, and I would read it and enjoy it. But for the most part, the ones I like are where there's like some sort of identifying name or sentence, and then the other one is that when they touch or meet for the first time, their mark appears. I really that's my favorite personally. That way, you're not. I I find that the the chasing a soulmate thing to be very can be a real source of frustration in a story. And so if the person doesn't 
I don't, I've never particularly been very fond of Red String of Fate, but I have read a couple that it worked, but it generally doesn't work for me. So the two that I really like are they, you meet or touch or whatever, and your mark appears. And that, that avoids the whole mismatch soulmates thing and avoids a lot of the problematic issues with stuff. And then the other one I like is the, the writing. But I got to thinking about, now I did do, I did write a story, but it was based on an art prompt that had the names, the art prompt had their names, John and Rodney's names written on their wrists okay so that was the prompt man I, if, if, if if my soulmate's name was john and that's all i got was john i'd be fucking furious right. and that's where i was thinking about with this is that in that story i had that his parent rodney's parents had tried to match him up with various johns um over the years to try to Which sounds like they're trying to get him to be a hooker right um <laughs> But so Rodney was very bitter and jaded about the whole soulmate thing because there had been this, you know, string of Johns uh, to his Meredith or to, or to his Rodney, depending upon which one, you know, they had, and that they would try to, you know, meet them, match them up. And so Rodney didn't really want a soulmate. He just was like really down on the whole thing. And, and in that story, John, the ATA gene suppressed soul marks. Because the natural ATA genes suppress soul marks because the ancients didn't want that kind of distraction on the way to ascension. So it was baked into the, to the ATA gene that it would suppress the mark's appearance on the skin. Um, bastards. Right. So John always thought he didn't have a soulmate. And Rodney wasn't interested in soulmates. But anyway, one of the things I just mentioned casually in that was about mismatches or, you know, common names like Tom and Kathy or something like that. And then I got to thinking... Even though I myself, also, I'm not criticizing people who have written it this way because I wrote it this way. I went in on that trope exactly that way. But I think the reality is in a world where you're born with your soulmate's name on your arm, that people would have bizarre names to spell. Their names would be spelled in bizarre ways. There'd be a lot more original, weird names because parents would be trying to make their child as singular as possible so that they could find their soulmate more easily. Right. You know, so like John would be spelled with 10 letters, right? And like fact, most of them if, would be unpronounced. It, it would be like um, you actually, like your legal name is actually a series of numbers and letters. And then you have a nickname you go by. Right. So they can match you in a database. And so you'd have, the, you wouldn't have this false positive thing. And it's just something that had never occurred to me when I wrote it, that it's actually completely implausible that you've got a world where you run around trying to find the person who matches the name on your wrist, that people, parents wouldn't be doing everything they could to try to ensure their child had a successful, a, a better chance of finding their soulmate by making what they were going to have on their wrist as unique as possible. And so then that particular trope of the name on the arm sort of I, I lost interest in it because I was like oh damn but then so now my reigning favorite for soulmates is they meet and um the, a mark of some sort appears um I really like the idea because I'm a little bit strange I guess of like when you meet somebody that it's not just like a like a mark like a tattoo or something but it's like etched into your skin and the more profound your soul connection or the more times your souls have connected in life, that your mark is bigger. And so like if your mark is like, you know, like if you this is the first time you've ever been through a, a soulmate, met this person 
in in history and in all time and eternity, you might have a small mark like the size of a golf ball or a baseball or something, and it fit on your arm. But somebody who's been through ten or you know ten or twelve go arounds with somebody might have their whole back covered. And what if Will and Hannibal met, and the minute they shook hands, their entire bodies were covered in marks? And if it was like being etched into their skin. It could actually like you could actually you could could write it being like traumatic where it actually puts them in the hospital because the mark connection is so taxing to their system because they're like one of the oldest soul bonded couples to ever exist. That's that that is both awesome and ouch. <laughs> it's like oh. Well, I avoid angst in some things and other things I double down on it. <laughs> But it'd be an interesting thing is like how many, how many ways, I think there is a Hannibal demon fic. I think there is but one. I w- but I would not write one. I would neither. Um, because I don't know. There's, there's a special level of hell on top of the whole killing somebody and their, um, and their demon. Yeah. And honestly, how can a serial killer hide in a world um, full of demons? Because wasn't wouldn't his demon be just? I imagine not serial killers would have very similar demons, and they would be like really taboo. Or but Hannibal, Hannibal could be be a, an exception because of his lack of pathology. Um, he could have like a beautiful, very atypical, which makes him less suspicious. Actually, it might be part of why he's flown under the radar. Because he isn't looking at it like a typical serial killer. He's looking at it like a hunter. That's my food. So I imagine his daemon would be a predator. A wolf. A bird of some kind. Yeah. Eagle. Hawk. I have not read his dark materials. And I have not. I've only seen the Golden Compass once. Um, So I don't actually know what the difference between being a regular person and being a witch would be. But anyway, let's let's stick with soulmate for a second before we go to. What would you do with soulmate? Um, I would probably do um, the marked by touch because the name is weird to me. Um, and I don't like the red string of freight and the eyeball thing is really creepy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um. So I probably do touch touch as well. But I think that if that was if that was the case, that Hannibal would probably be touch averse. Well, you could do it. You, it could also be pr- just proximity. It could be like eye contact, or I mean, and that's one of the things you see sometimes in fic is that somebody in a, in a soulmate universe where it's based on eye contact that a lot of people avoid eye contact. So you have to be. I want to do touch. Yeah, I, no, I think it's a very it's a very intimate situation, and I think that. Um, the intimacy of the moment um, d- um, deserves more than just eye contact. It's just my personal, much my personal opinion. Um, but I'd want to do touch, and I think that not only would Hannibal be touch averse, I think Will would be too. And I think in a society like that, it would actually be rude to offer your hand to somebody. I agree. There wouldn't be. She wouldn't shake hands like that. So you'd have to come up with another way for them to touch. Um. I think that in a world like that, where you touch somebody and you can find out whether or not you're your soulmate, um, your soulmates, that touching um some, somebody else um would would have to be a very deliberate act. 
um, you know, skin to skin touch. I mean, I think if you brush up some, um, um, up against somebody on a dance floor or um, I think people would probably wear gloves, long sleeves. Um, if they weren't interested in meeting their soulmate, they'd be very protective of their skin. They, they wouldn't want direct skin to skin contact, contact with practically anybody unless they were seeking their soulmate. And then they might want to touch everybody, but I think they would have to ask. Well, there could be a way that they would telegraph that they're receptive to touch, like they're seeking, like, like it could be like a wristband. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you don't wear a wristband, this person is not seeking touch. There's a vampire story in the NCIS fandom where um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it's basically if you wear a collar as a vampire, it means you are not seeking a relationship because basically you're blocking in the bite zone, right? With a collar. Mm -hmm. And one day Tony shows up at work with his, his collar off and it infuriates Gibbs because he had been waiting to try to get Tony to the point that Tony would be ready to let somebody in. And Tony got there early and he got there on his own without any of Gibbs fucking help. And people were immediately all over Tony and interested. And Gibbs was like, what the fuck, dude? So you could do something like that where there's something that telegraphs, like if somebody's wearing a wristband or whatever, it means that they're not receptive to touch and if they don't have it they are receptive to touch because they're seeking a partner and then in that case it could be very common for people to deliberately shake hands with like everybody in a room who doesn't have a wristband on because you're seeking but i would think it would be baked somehow in a culture that how, I think how I do it the, act, the opposite people who had the band were seeking because because it, it'd be the overt act. Because that way you wouldn't want to. Yeah. yeah. It would be would... very overt. They would have to put that band on every day. You know, or just wear it constantly. Um, so somebody uh, found it. It's called The Silver and Scarlet Claim Verse by the Seventh Swan. And I'll put the link in the link library. Thank you, Robbie. Um, this is one of those rare times. I... I'm never in I, until this. This is like the only time I've ever read it. I can think uh, that I can think of where the story being told twice from each character's point of view worked for me. It was told once from Tony's point of view. The next story is the same story told from Gibbs' point of view. It, it's just sometimes there's just an exception. Okay, I believe you. I will read it, but if, but if I'm disappointed, I'm going to cuss you out. You don't have kidding. to. <laughs> she will cuss me out, though. <laughs> She's I not kidding what? about that. She'll, she'll come, she'll come you in. make me read, you bitch? She'll come into chat and she'll, you heifer. That's exactly how it <laughs> Well, you did judge me last week. Well, you told me not to, and I'm like, all I said is you make it so easy, though. I would hope they would have very different POVs. Yeah, it is very. Because well, the thing is, Gibbs' motivation is a little, a little unclear in Tony's point of view. I mean, you get you get there, you get where they're going, um, but it's like, wow, what is going on with Gibbs when all this stuff is happening? And then you get into Gibbs' point of view for the second book, and you're like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> oh well, well. I, okay, the bands on the wrist. I think that um, that people who don't wear a band. Um, I don't think Hannibal or Will would be interested in wearing a band, but I kind of envision a scene where um, Hannibal's invited Will to have dinner at his house, and um, there's this very, you know, very soft moment between them where Hannibal um, asks permission 
to, to touch him. And like he just kind of slides and, and Will says yes. And so he just kind of slides his fingers up Will's fingers and then just settles his hand on top of his. And they're like, just like that. And just like that, it's over. I mean, the marks of show up on Hannibal's palm and on the top of Will's hand. I like that. And it's just like it's very like I think it, I think it could have a lot of it to be very erotic in that moment. Um, and then the shock of them actually being a match, it'd be very sexy. Yeah. That'd be very good. Because in that moment, Hannibal would know that Will Graham is every is absolutely everything he needs him to be. And Will Graham would know that the darkness that he's been carrying around tightly leashed his whole life is sitting across from him. It'd be game on. There would be some immense amount of sex too. <laughs> I am all in on this. But I like the idea of, of Hannibal just sliding his fingers up Will's and like this really just slow glide of skin and heat, you know, and just warmth and then just settling and, and the marks just kind of burning into their skin at the same time. It's like a very that. deliberate touch. I like that idea a lot. I do, I do like touch-based um, soulmate mark. I think that, that would be my um preference of all of the soulmate plot devices is that's the one that I like the best. I you know accidental touch is fine and I did it in um with your heart on your sleeve but I like um I, I would really enjoy a very deliberate moment. I like the idea of a deliberate moment too. Um because I did it in um with the heart on your sleeve which I think there's a it's on EAD I think um where Jack and um Jack hmm, where Tony and Steve are soulmates and when the helicarrier gets attacked um Tony stumbles and um Steve um keeps him from falling and their marks appear right but they don't have time to address it cuz cuz shit just got real right cuz they're about to know. crash they're about to fall out of the sky and so even those two can't survive that um i actually Somebody pointed out that it is it is true that they do touch they do touch when they're saving Abigail's life, and so you wouldn't have to go very far to find a circumstance for them to to accidentally touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be that could be really bloody and gory in my in my scenario because um, they touch for the first time trying to save her life, and they both get covered in these marks that are hurting them, and they're not really and in a situation where they. Can do it and she, I think that she would probably die. I think she would die too. So and actually, they barely kept her alive. In my scenario, I'd have to make sure they didn't touch in that particular scene, because. But what if they thought they touched? What if it, in the chaos they just both of them kind of had it in their head that they must have been in contact, even if they actually didn't manage it, and so they don't hesitate later to touch one another. Because they think they're no, they think it's already a real no. problem, right? And then they like, whoops, that actually, oops, Kai, I'm gonna forgive you for some of your crazy earlier for that, that particular. <laughs> no love, no glove, no love. 
I mean, I think in a world where uh, super literal. I think that in a world where people meet their um, soulmates by touch, that casual sex. Um, I mean, it would either be two ways. It would be like, okay, hey, I'm going to touch you. Um, great. Do you want to fuck? Because we're not we're not soulmates. Well, because honestly, the best sex workers, okay, so sex workers, se- I'm just going to throw this out there. There are some people who, every time I bring up legalized prostitution, I offend somebody. I'm My give a fuck is broken on the subject. I support legalized prostitution. Put that out there. I don't care if you like it or not. It's your what, ass. You can sell it if you want. That's right. I, I should have the right to sell my ass if I want to. I don't particularly want to, but I should have the right to do it. And a lot of the problems with prostitution go away if it's legalized. So just saying. Anyway, what if the the what if sex workers were not they couldn't be common, but what if the 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 most sought after, revered, highly paid sex workers were ones who had soulmates? And they already knew. They they already knew who their soulmate was, so it's perfectly safe to I mean, in a world like that where prostitution is legal, um, soulmates could actually work in partnership that way. Run yeah. escort services full of people who are soulmated who who have sex for a living. Yeah. Because I think people would have a different mentality about that kind of thing. Um, also, somebody who had lost their soulmate would be a good candidate for sex work. I'm not mm-hmm. saying... But, but I would think in a society like that, where they worry about casual touch that people who went into, into the pleasure business or into sex work would be considered, it would be like a, a respected profession. You'd be well paid. You'd be well paid. Um, But also I think in a society like that, sex dolls would sell through the roof and the sex doll industry would be like the most advanced industry on the planet. People in our society who are currently building specials and shit would be building sex dolls. Because that's, that's where the money would be. Yeah. We would probably already have robots if we had soulmate touching. <laughs> Full grown, clean your house, and bang you, robots. <laughs> We're talking Cherry 2000 here. <laughs> so if if Hannibal and Will, let's say at some point in time in the course of another investigation, have what they think to be an acceptable casual touch, and it puts them both down, right? I would think there would be like laws protecting soulmates who are incapacitated by this kind of thing. Um, but it could put them in a kind of an, it, not because I would want to cast Jack as being evil, but because it could put them in a very adversarial relationship with Jack because all of a sudden it could be revealed basically in a way that Jack shouldn't have the right to know that Hannibal and Will have an incredibly old soul bond. Like, probably the considered most ancient on Earth. And Jack shouldn't so, have that information. All their marks, um, all their marks are referencing to all the times they've been soulmated. Yeah. So they, if they're covered with them, it meant that they've met over and over and over again, probably since the dawn of a society, a civilization, right? Since probably since they're back in the caves, these two have known each other. So they've got like the oldest soul bond ever known. But Jack shouldn't be privy to that kind of information because soulmate marks are nobody's business. And so, um, yeah. Well, how would he use it? 
I'm trying to think. Well, he could try to. Because he would use it if there was something in it that he could use, but what would it be? It would have to be something to do with leverage. I think if soulmate um, marks are actually pretty um, are kind of like legally protected status and stuff like that, that if Freddie published that shit, she would go to jail. Or at the very least get sued out of a job in her home. And probably end up in an unmarked grave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to work on the world building for like how it's protected and how much I mean, like, it's protected. Like their whole bodies are covered, like like including their faces, because his face no, is so pretty. <laughs> no, no, I'm thinking. I was thinking more like it. Like it starts on their backs, and that they start. They start. They it appear. They appear quickly, but they appear in the order that they've occurred in life. And so I was thinking that they would appear on their backs first, and then like. They they like have like an organic progression, so like they flow into each other. So like the first one moves to the second to the third, and they just start flowing down their body. And maybe like so down the back, over the buttocks, down the back of the legs, up the front of the legs, and maybe like just to like the waist in the front, um, like to the side of the ribs, but leave most of the chest uncovered, um, arms most of the arm covered. But chest, like, yeah, like had full sleeves, which was sexy, by the yeah, way. Yeah, full sleeves, both legs, the back, the buttocks, and then kind of up the sides of the ribs, leaving most of the front of the torso without. And maybe their newest mark is over the com- it's, yeah, it's coming up over the left side and appearing right over the heart, right over that pectoral, is where the newest mark is. Yeah, kind of. Not mad at it. Um. So the only way that Jack Crawford would have seen this is if he saw them in the hospital. Why the hell did Jack Crawford have access to them in the hospital? Unless they collapsed in front of him. I mean, yeah, if they're on that crime scene, but they would probably would have been put in ambulances before even um, um, Abigail's body was. Not that one. Because what if they had their casual touch in front of Jack, not in dangerous circumstances, because they don't think it's a problem, because they thought they touched at the crime scene. And so at some point, just it's a random, random circumstance. There's nothing particularly dramatic going on, but there may be with Jack and the other BAU people and they brush up against each other and then they're both down for the count. And now he might not know immediately why they're both down for the count. Were they poisoned? Did somebody shoot them? They'd have been, but they would probably have called emergency workers and they'd have been taken to a hospital. Yeah. So how fast are these um, marks going to appear? Well, if they come in order of progression, the number of marks I'm talking about probably is in the, you know, probably 50 to 100, I would think. And so even if they're appearing one every few seconds, that's still quite a bit of time. So they'd be... I mean, I would probably stretch it out into one every few minutes because if they're etching into the skin like tattoos, that'd be agonizing. (laughs) <laughs> but I would think that they've the reason why it, it, it floors especially for like a big one and then a whole bunch of little ones back to back well I think the reason why it would floor them is because they'd feel it all over immediately and then they would start to appear mm-hmm. so so what is it about what if bonding with a soulmate stabilized Will Graham to the point where he could pass the, the 
psychological exam um, to be a, fi a field agent. I like that. And what if, what if, because he's able to control his empathy better, he, because if mirror, if, you have to deal, accept that part of Will's issue with Jack is that he mirrors Jack's desires, right? So mm -hmm. Jack's desire to catch, to get the next one, feeds Will's desire to catch, to do the next one. Da, da, da. Well, what if that was suddenly cut off? And Will no longer had Jack's agenda because he wasn't, his empathy wasn't reflecting Jack back because his soul bond is protecting him. His very ancient and powerful soul bond is protecting him. And so Jack's now got less leverage on Will. And so Hannibal, so Jack tries to get Hannibal more involved than he already was to keep Will involved, to keep Will using his gift. I think Hannibal would see right through that. Um, Hannibal, I think, I'm sorry. I, I, I started talking before I unmuted myself. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't work. I think that Hannibal would actually, um, his protectiveness of, of Will would be in great conflict with Jack's purposes. Mm -hmm. He also, this is his soulmate. He might not want his soulmate being empathetic to other killers. So he might not want Jack to do it's Will to do anything with Hannibal. With, 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 he might not want Will to do anything with Jack because he doesn't want other killers taking his soulmate's attention and empathy. Don't touch my stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> you should hashtag all your fix. Don't, don't touch my stuff. <laughs> And nobody, any people who had listened to this podcast would have no clue what I was talking about. And I'd get hate mail about how that's not how fandom works. I can suck my ass. <laughs> and then I can say suck Kira's ass. <laughs> yeah, stags could appear at some point in the tattoo. But I do think it would be reflective of the time and circumstances they lived in. Um, there could be there would be a their real... um their current one could be a stag, but the stag only has meaning to Will Graham. It wouldn't mean anything to Jack Crawford. He wouldn't see it and go, "Oh my God, you're the Chesapeake Ripper." I mean, it just wouldn't occur to him. Especially since the stag came about as part of the Minnesota Shrike case. But yeah, it's I mean... like she doesn't even know us. We don't actually go out of our way to make people figure us out. I mean, I'm of the opinion if if, if I do something. You, if you don't get it, you don't deserve to. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the that's the point. People would interpret the double meaning, and I've I already have a bunch of shorts that say my fix are not up for adoption, and I got a whole passel of hate and angst about that from somebody who told me that I was a hypocrite for that because oh, suck my ass! How dare I write fan fiction and then claim that other people can't finish my works? Like because it's I'm not finishing the work of the people that I write the shows I write fan fiction about, and honestly, no one is capable of finishing my work. Right. So you could write your own ending to my work. I wouldn't appreciate it, and I wouldn't respect it. Um, but it wouldn't be mine. So you have no ability whatsoever to finish my work. 
I just need people to come for the more original insult than hypocrite. Because it's like anytime I say something somebody doesn't like, I'm a hypocrite. I'm like, for what? Could you like actually give something concrete that I've been a hypocrite? Next time about? you get one of those, just send them a link to, to to the dictionary. Yeah. Just that. Just the dictionary. Call and me if they respond back to you, why are you hitting me this link? Send them a, send them the, the dictionary again. But like with a definition for like um unoriginal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call me, you know, call me a strumpet or a loose woman. <laughs> I would love it if you called me a loose woman. That'd be hysterical. But well, no, because she wouldn't want a derivative of hypocrite. She wants a new word. I need something. Not, new. not a word that means the same thing. So a thesaurus wouldn't be exactly helpful. I need a. New I'm going to start doing that though. Sending people links to the dictionary, like with different words that I think of when I think of them. Like, well, since, bitch. <laughs> since we are just a picture of an asshole. <laughs> since we're free associating, here's an anus for you. <laughs> just send them random links to shit. Just only the link, though. Only the link. They could call me a crumpet. I would actually be okay with that. I love crumpets. <laughs> I've never actually had a crumpet. Dude. What's a crumpet? Is it a cookie or is it a biscuit? It's not well. The ones I've had are not sweet, so it's not a cookie. Um, the ones I've had are kind of like, kind of like an English muffin, but not exactly. Not an English okay. muffin. An English muffin. I think, not. I think Chef John has a recipe for crumpets. Maybe I'll look it up and try it. The ones I've had have a lot of air holes, like an English muffin does, a lot. Mm. But they're they're very they're they're denser than an English muffin, mm -hmm. um, and so they have all of these like places for butter and honey to hide. It's so good. Could I put cream cheese on it? You could, but I would start with the butter and honey. Okay. This is my advisory. That's a crumpet. Well, I'm thinking that some cream cheese and strawberries would look good on that. It would that too, but don't skip the butter and honey. You gotta you have two crumpets. Butter and well, honey. Well, yeah, I mean there's there's no reason not to have two. Butter and honey. Actually it's just butter. If you don't want sweet, I also like them with just butter. Like lots of butter because there's lots of holes to fill in. So, but you can use them as a base. I've made pizzas on them, like little mini pesto pizzas. Huh? Where are you buying them? Trader Joe's. Okay. I mean, I wasn't assuming that she would not be able to make them. But I'm but particularly her, interested. But, but I don't think she's particularly interested. And also, she has a small kitchen. Do you still have a small kitchen? No, not anymore. Okay. I used. Well, she to. had a small kitchen. I so. had. <laughs> I had a ridiculously small kitchen. It like literally, it, you could put, you couldn't squeeze past somebody standing in that kitchen. It was a shoebox. Like, how do you deal with a sunburn on your anus? Um, very carefully. Yeah, I got sunburned nipples once. I didn't realize this is just a thing. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that my sw swimsuit. I was river rafting, okay, and I didn't realize my swimsuit was a little on the sheer side. And um, I had sunscreened everything that was visible, right? But my breasts got burned really bad through the swimsuit, and my nipples were particularly painful. But the most painful thing was you remember you know those 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 um those kind of wraparound combs they kind of stretch out and they make like a triangle pattern in your hair. Do you ever use one of those? You mean like a banana clip? No, no. They're the ones that go all the way around your head like a 
like a hair wrap, except it's it's like a flexible plastic comb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I had that, and I put one of those in my hair, and then I French braided it. And so it has this zigzag pattern on my scalp of part. I didn't put sunscreen on that. And I had the zigzag. I mean, it burned so bad it blistered. We were on the river for like 10 hours. Wow. Wear a hat now. Wear a hat. Sunscreen, sunscreen, your, sunscreen your part. That's very important. If you have a part in your hair, sunscreen it. I had a lot of part because of that comb. Yeah, even though I was reapplying the bullfrog all day, like the parts where my leg was like rubbing up against the boat or over the part, I had my legs hanging over the edge of the raft, dangling on the water. And the the line where the water line was, that area got particularly burned, even though I was reapplying sunscreen. But it was, I'd, I wish I'd just covered up more, quite frankly. Even though it was hot, I should have just worn my rash guard and just not gotten torched. Um, anyway, but yeah, I could see I could see it being a really profound, especially for Hannibal. It's like he would Will would be like kind of reveling in his life being suddenly better, right? Like his empathy's under better control. He's stabilized. He could be an agent if he wants to be. He's having more insight into Jack's motivation, and he is he's got a beast in bed. Got a beast in bed. <laughs> but for Hannibal, who in this life has lost so much, he's got the evidence all over his skin that that Will's been always been with him, always and always been his, and they've done this for centuries they've been doing this they've met up over and over and over and i think it would be really deeply profound and healing for him even if he's still killing you know because i'm not trying to change him but i would think it would be just so in it, as much as it could be for hannibal i think it would be very healing for the hannibal of that life who had been what he'd been what who had been through what he had with his sister to have the proof of such a deep and profound connection but it would also the depth of that soul mark would not even if there are privacy laws it would not escape notice from some people and so he, he i think to some degree it would put him under more scrutiny and he would be aware of that and i think it would curtail his killing for a while and it would probably keep the chesapeake ripper from ever re-emerging I think yeah, it, it would definitely change him. I think he would stop displaying his kills because it's not—it's not just him anymore. Yeah, and it will never just be him. Yeah, and and he carries that evidence on his skin that it never was just him, and it never will be just him. That one of the one of the prevailing themes that I explore in ties at Bind um, is um, infinity. Um, and, um, the, um, the connection of, of, of love between John and Rodney that builds throughout the series, which is why that infinity loop is on John's key. It's on Rodney's collar. It's on some of the equipment that they bought. Um, I think it would be really interesting, um, to have, to, to literally have that kind of infinity displayed on the bodies on their bodies like that that connection is is eternal it's gorgeous yeah you should write it i look forward to reading it (laughs) (laughs) 
Thanks for enabling me through this process. Um, That's me. She's chief enabler. She calls herself plot doctor, but what she means is chief enabler. I am a plot doctor. Um, also, you should call it Marks of Eternity. Oh, yes, I should. Goes to make note. <laughs> I'm also very good titling shit. <laughs> Rogue, are you still in here? Gone again. I just remembered it. Is she in and out? Yeah, she's not here yeah. right now. Um, would they, you know, in terms of the world building, I'd have to decide the level of privacy. Like, people might record eventually, like, document their soul marks so they could maybe track who they were and it paired with them what they did in their life. On the other hand, it, that could have, and odds are that that kind of tracking might have backfired on people at some point, and it might actually be something people actively avoid. I would like, say it would practically be taboo and maybe not something that, I mean, yeah, I think you could spin it either way, but can you imagine the first time somebody is recorded, they found a record of a prior soul mark, and they look it up, and they go, oh, you were Jack the Ripper in your last life. Well, that's not good. <laughs> because Hannibal totally was Jack the Ripper in his past life. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I think that it could be somebody has gotten, somebody has been somebody really ugly in a past life, or the pair has been somebody awful, and it gets out, and it's bad for them, and it it becomes something it could very easily be something that society goes no 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 we don't do this we don't we don't do past soul mark searches and if you're really lucky and you meet somebody and they and you have more than one mark emerge well that's just beautiful you know it's just beautiful but it's perfectly okay if you meet somebody and they and you only get one mark that's beautiful but too. That's beautiful too, because it's like I mean, I would actually think that'd be very precious as new souls encountering each other. Um, so that's to me what it would imply is either you've never been lucky enough to find your soulmate, or your new soul. Yeah, you've you're, and I would think that would be like you know, very precious. But you have to imagine that. I think I think religion would be shaped very differently too in this world. So you have to keep that in mind when you're world building. Um, because I guess one of the few religions you genuinely believe in reincarnation is what Hinduism. I think so. Yeah. But they would all have to believe it. <laughs> they would all have to believe it. Religion would probably go, I mean, probably go down very differently. There'd be, there wouldn't be the level of fanaticism about it. Right. Right. Um, because your soul is because it basically what it means is if, if, if reincarnation exists, what then, then what is heaven? If I've lived my life six times, I've got six marks on my body to prove it. Because honestly, if you introduce religion, the uh, and you and you uh, in a soulmate verse, okay, you guys just hear me out. If you're starting to get your knickers in a knot, just D then don't bother because I'm I'm an uh, atheist and I don't want to well, hear it. On. But Un unseal thine buttocks and <laughs> listen for a second, okay? So going, let's just go with the Christian thing, right? Jesus, let's say Jesus exists and he's born. He's gonna have a he's gonna have a soulmate potentially that he meets. Now it could be because of the fanaticism around him that his soul marks are documented, right? Well, okay. based on this theory, what happens if somebody pops up with that soul mark again a few hundred years later? Little mark on their shoulder says that they're the re fucking reincarnation of Jesus Christ. I mean, does anybody want to deal with that? No. 
But honestly, I think that I would probably write it where, like, if if I was a Christian and I wanted to write this, I would write it that uh, Jesus doesn't have a soulmate because he's really just the embodiment, you know, the embodiment of God, and he was put into Mary, you know, blood and bone, um, the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost kind of thing, and that Jesus didn't have a soulmate. Oh, I'd probably go. Well, I'm not a Christian, so I'd probably go more for more towards. Well, he was called John the Beloved for a reason. Um, <laughs> and now you're gonna get hate mail. But I'm actually an atheist, and I don't respect anybody's religion. So no, I would I, either ignore it completely, or um, none of the religions would have grown the same way in this kind of. But world. but none of them I, would have I survived just, just the way you know. I just they all be I wouldn't different. write it. I wouldn't write it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't write a big religious element. And if there were religions that sprang up, they'd be considered fringe elements or maybe anti soulmate groups that were based in some kind of religion, because you know. yeah, but they were like, oh, well, you, well, you you can't actually be soulmates because your pairing's unnatural because you're both men, you know that kind of thing. And that would be considered I see that happening. There'd be no, but there'd be there'd be no like I would think in a soulmate universe where men were routinely soulmates. Um, there would be no like institutionalized homophobia that there would be pockets of weirdness that mm-hmm. would be considered aberrant. Like, okay, we don't listen to those fringe groups. Just like we don't listen to some of those fringe groups. Now you could spend 20, well in the world building. Yeah. But I wouldn't show it on screen. Cause I wouldn't need to show it all on screen. I could cover that kind of stuff in about a thousand words. It, and I wouldn't do it in a data dump. It would just be kind of trickled in. So, but anyway, um, but on the other hand, one of their soul marks could be something that's very recognizable because maybe sometimes past historical figures, there are drawings of past historical figures who displayed their soul marks. Um, and it could be that kind of thing has been why people stopped doing it. But so there could be like some connection to some corn kind of historical figure, um, that they would try to maybe try to keep quiet. I don't know that I would actually want to go down that. That would feel like a side tangent that might not be relevant. So I'd have to make sure it had any a, a significant relevance on the overall direction of the plot to do that. I mean, you can know a lot about your world that never ends up in your story because it's not relevant. Right. And I usually do know a lot about my world that doesn't wind up in the story. But you have to think that... Um, these kinds of things are the kinds of things that evolve as society evolves and as technology evolves. So it's sort of like, you know, cryogenics used to be one thing, but these days it's something else entirely. Like there's a cryogenic spa down the street from me, a spa where you basically go in and get popsicled for a little while. And it's supposed to be really good for you. Is that, what, is that that plastic surgery sculpting thing or just something different? No, I don't, I don't know what all they do with you, but they just make you really cold. Um, and then you, you I, for- I hear this cold, this cold sculpting to freeze away fat on the radio all the time. <laughs> no, this is just like they they do very short bursts of time. It it they it's a very short bursts of time to it's supposed to improve health or circulation or something. I don't know. I, I was like just kind of going. So this is the direction of cryogenics. But anyway, when you think about it, like something that in in a world like this, where like let's say you've got it's not okay. People don't typically document their soul marks. What if like people did start to document, but they're documented in unusual ways. Like um, a soul mark is documented through an attorney or something. And you have to have the, the mark, that historical mark 
and you go into this private attorney and it could be like a, some sort of, I, I'd have to work out the actual mechanics of it, like some sort of weird mechanism for inheritance or something, or you could learn something fairly significant about a past, but you'd have to go to the attorney that has the soul mark and present the mark and say, this is me. And then you get access. It's like unlocking a vault because, but people could start to leave information through their, for their next incarnation through private channels like that. I I I haven't seen Jupiter ascending, so I don't know. But anyway, um, okay. Anyway, um, I don't know what you mean by million dollar insurance policy on body parts. Okay. Um, I was trying to remember what I was thinking of when I went down that tangent, um, but I don't know that it would serve the the kind of the story idea I'm thinking about to have those kinds of like side plots, but it is something that could be done in a soulmate universe where soul marks are considered private is that there could be like a way to go in and check for an inheritance based on a particular mark um, that somebody has left behind. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they've got a lot, but it, I would think it'd be something to be more recently. Um, done and i don't know i you could go the path of having them have some flashbacks or memories of their prior lives together but i'm not i don't know if i would do that but it could be something very specific like they have to touch the mark to get any kind of flashes of it or maybe their soulmate has to touch the mark but that could be that could realistically be like an avenue to opening up the potential to destroy a relationship because what if you see a flash of something really ugly and you you don't want to be with that person so yeah i think i would probably keep it pretty simple on the what what the function of the soul marks is and it's just a it's just a representation of all the times those souls have been bonded together as opposed to that they perform any other function like giving them insight into their past life or something, because that could open up a can of worms. It could be the first one has memories. Yeah. But then you should have nested memories, right? Because if your most recent, if you go to your most recent mark and you get its memories, it should have memories of when it got memories. Right. So you don't want to have any kind of governmental tracking on marks because what if like what if your past life did something so fucked up that they were like sentenced to spend like three life sentences in jail yeah right i would never <laughs> and so like you I get would... your soulmate mark and then cops come arrest you and put you in jail because the other the other you fucked up bad yeah, I would actually think the closest to religion that, the, like, organized religion that society would have would be around the reverence around soul marks. Is you'd have to have it be because the thing is, especially if you need medical treatment, or you're gonna doctors and nurses are gonna be seeing your soul mark potentially, and your soul mark could get exposed, or you might be willing to expose it. But there would have to be if you don't want exposed, like it'd have to be covered by privacy laws, just like your you know, protected health information that if you don't want to show that what your soul mark is now, Will and Hannibal are going to be covered in them. So they're not going to be able to completely hide. Hannibal would have had some of them with their clothes, but not all. 
Right. But let's say, like, let's say people wouldn't look at them and guess that their legs and their back are covered. But it'd be weird that both of their hands and forearms are covered. People would kind of look at that because especially if they're known to go in a progression, like they connect one to the other over time. So you're going to go, well, that means the left and the right arm have to be connected. So then there's going to be an assumption that they at least goes across the back of their shoulders. At the very least. Anyway, I could be very entertained with this idea. I could be. I'm already entertained with this idea. I guess I should say I could be very occupied with this idea. Well, I would think... I doubt, got... um, I doubt tattooing would even exist. Some form of it might, but I would imagine you would never get a tattoo before you got your first, you got your mark. Because what if you tattooed where your mark was supposed to be? So. I think there could be circumstances where you tattoo where I'm, um, where you have something put over your mark. Yeah, you might. So there could be like, you know, but I, now I actually would have the marks not be like tattoos so they couldn't be faked. It would be more like, it ultimately probably develop into like a type of like scarification kind of thing. Not like, not like deep kind of, but just like some kind of like, perm, like something textured you can actually feel on the skin. Yeah. So that, so that you can't just, you know, tattoo with, uh, cause I have read that, that, tr that kind of trope of, um, like people faking soul marks. Kinda. Yeah. Kinda. Not, not quite like branding, but kinda. Um, but I have embossed, to, like embossed. They'd be, yeah, it, it'd just be just a very light texture. And maybe they'd have like, it would be, I could see the lines being like not having a ton of color, but like white, like maybe like white, like a scar or something like that, as opposed to like a covered in black, black lines. Um, some tattoos do have a feel like that. It depends on how they heal and how there actually is a technique where you can use a tattoo needle without any um, ink in it to tattoo like a pattern, right? You tattoo the pattern and you go over it. Sometimes they do it over a couple of times to basically create kind of almost like cut into the skin, but not exactly. And then instead of letting it heal like you would a tattoo, which is a tattoo, you leave it alone. In this technique, you basically abrade away the scabs every day so that you form scars. Gross. The effect is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's basically a form of scarification, but the, like I said, the effect is gorgeous. But it, it is a commitment to hurting yourself a lot. A lot. Which I'm not intellectually opposed to, but <laughs> yeah, but I don't particularly like picking off scabs. <laughs> well, you scrub them off. Oh, okay. Okay, that's not too bad then. Let me, uh, here's a picture of, Let's see if that worked. Oh, that's really pretty. You mentioned that you would want Jack to have kind of an adversarial role and use their soulmate bond against them. Or at least try to use it for leverage or something. But he, I would think he would maybe fundamentally misunderstand them. He might try to alienate a will away from Hannibal. Now that he's stable and useful. Yeah. And be put in the field. Um, he'd be like, well, Will, why would you let Hannibal make decisions for you like that? You're a, you're a grown man. And he could think that that's what's happening is that Hannibal's making these decisions. And we totally misread it. And Will could be like, uh-huh. 
No, no, you're right, Jack. I, I should make my own choices. I think I'm going to go live in Baltimore and like um, arrange for the academy to put a big TV up here so I can teach remotely and um, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> Adios, dude. <laughs> I think he would keep trying to get Will in. Um, I'm on board with all that except for the plum is a gag. That's actually a choking risk. Yeah, I don't mind reading P B BDSM. I just don't want to read bad BDSM. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. That that, I don't know that it's bad. I don't know that it's bad, but it's just. Um, it doesn't matter when I that's see organic that... matter in the mouth. Um, it it doesn't matter. That is just really bad. That is not a safe thing to do. He could bite it in half and swallow half and choke to death while he's getting his um, um his dick sucked. It's just not that's not that's not the actions of a responsible dom. And if a dom tried to gag me with a food item, I would save my um safe word my ass right into um my car. Well, you could use a plum shaped ball gag, but the point is that they didn't use a ball. They gag. They used an actual plum. Plum. I don't need and if I were to do a workaround for that, I wouldn't get one that's plum shaped. And also, honestly, the sorry, Ellie. The plum's not very big. Plums aren't very big naturally. I mean, honestly, like well, an unpeeled navel orange would be a better gag. It's just not a good gag. It's just not a good gag. I um, mean, no. I, <laughs> no. Again, again, you've got the issue of him biting into it. Biting it's, into it, it when, and once the you piece bite falling in, off. Once you yeah. bite into an apple, you bite into an apple. And the odds are the minute he clenches his jaw, that that's, you're going to bite into the apple and you got a big chunk of apple in your mouth. And if he's laying on his back, it's something he could um, uh, choke on. <clears throat> it's just something, you know, it's sometimes an odd little detail like that can throw you right out. It's like, oh, no. That's like I was reading this this fic once where the, the the hero was feeding the heroine a strawberry and he was holding it by the stem and he kind of pushed the whole strawberry into her mouth and she ate the whole thing. And I was stuck on the stem. It's like what I, I I'm sitting there going, but what about the stem? You can't eat a strawberry stem. The author never said he threw it away. He just grabbed well you can, but it's gross. Um Strawberry stems and leaves are gross. Well, and some of those stems are actually really sturdy. And they can be tough on your teeth, and they're not romantic or sexy. Uh, and then he gave her another one. Same thing. The point is, is that it's not, it's not hot. And all you have to do, it's <laughs> honestly the hottest part it's to me about feeding a strawberry to somebody is them biting into it. Right? Why would you skip the all bite? the juiciness? Right. Why would you skip the bite? Just shoving a strawberry in somebody's mouth is like, you know, that's like, okay, I got a strawberry on my plate. Your mouth is open there. <laughs> it's like shove. You got to have the bite. I mean, you. I'm sure there's kind of, I bet you I can find a fucking, even though we're not supposed to do gifts during the podcast. I'm just saying it. But see, the thing is, the thing is, isn't it? Doesn't matter if the stem and the leaves are 
edible. It doesn't matter how they taste or how, how hard it would have been for her to chew them. What matters is, is that the reader, I was thrown so completely out of this, what was supposed to be a very sexy scene that I was laughing too hard to actually read it and take it seriously. Now, you can't always manage what your reader is going to find ridiculous, right? That is very fast. Um, but in some instances, you can control not putting ridiculous things in, like having your hero feed your heroine um, really sexy strawberry leaves and stems. Because <laughs> if we didn't even bother to cut the stems off, did you wash the strawberries? Right. I did, were, did, were they washed was one of my questions. I, I, did, <laughs> I did find a sort of be biting strawberry gif because I said there would be one and there's actually several. I'm not going to actually put it up because I'm going to show you bitches the thing that distracted me for the last like 45 seconds and then I'm going to delete it because it's... <gasps> Jesus fucking Christ. That last one's obscene. <laughs> I gotta delete it. I can't. I can't. <laughs> that is just... Man, people. Just people. Just people. Just people. All I did was search for strawberry. I was like, right? That's the, all I did was search for strawberry. There it was. So the next guy's time you guys are in Discord. Get into one of the rooms and hit the gift button and look for strawberry, but don't put it in any of my rooms. That is pure. That is pure fruit porn. It's it's for it's that's worse than the porno carrot and the chicken that we had going on in Minion headquarters the other day. Maybe that porno carrot was something else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't give her a lot of time to chew it up either, so I, you're probably not wrong. He probably did look like a chip who had eaten far too many nuts. Just shoving strawberries in her mouth. Hold still, these strawberries are going in. <laughs> okay. Um, we're actually um, over three hours, aren't we? Uh, yeah, it took us a while to get going, so I guess we're at like three and a half. Let me see. Uh... We're at about we're about three twenty. Okay. So yeah, we should we should call it a we should call it a night a thing a night. I want to thank everybody for joining us and for you know and we honestly didn't even like we, we barely even scratched the surface on cannibalism jokes. I'm really proud of us. We we just you know I was expecting more. I was expecting more. I mean the content was actually very palatable. I managed to withhold saying that cannibalism is distasteful and you went through the content was really palatable. <sighs> I hope you guys have a fantastic uh, Friday and uh, we'll probably see you guys tomorrow night. Um, say good night, Julie. Good night, everyone.